Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, cool. Play hard. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on in the world today. I hope everybody is safe. I hope everybody is using common sense. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this place a better place to live in. I hope that you're doing what you need to do to make your community, to make your street corner, to make your state, to make your region, to make your country, to make your neighborhood, to make any place that we're, where you're going to be. I hope that you're doing what it needs to do in terms of bringing unity and bringing love and bringing togetherness and bringing harmony through education, through listening, through sharing each other's experiences, whether regardless of race or gender or creed or political affiliation or sexual orientation. I hope everybody doing something, something on an everyday basis, no matter how short, no matter how long, it doesn't have to be all day, it doesn't have to be a protest, it doesn't have to be a march, it doesn't have to be an argument, it doesn't have to be, you know, anything of that nature, but hopefully somebody, everybody out there is doing something to improve your community, to improve your neighborhood, to improve the street that you live on, to improve your neighborhood, to improve the person's ideas and views and politics and all that type of stuff that's living next to you that you're working with. I hope everybody's doing what they can with the foundation, with the understanding, with the goal of being love, unity, everybody coming together. So Wendell's World and Sports, that's what I'm talking about today as we continue from the fallout of what happened, the murder of George Floyd in the hands of the four domestic terrorists who are posing as police officers. Thank you very much, by the way, Attorney General Keith Ellison for doing the right thing, charging three of those jackasses and being complicit of the murder and the murderer itself, second degree murder. That's the first hurdle. Let's see what we can do as far as the other roadblocks that are going to be put on our way for our community to have justice. But um, at least with the first part, with the first part of this thing, I am hopeful. I am very hopeful. And there's one thing I was thinking about the other day. And, you know, I was like, we see on the news and we see the narrative and we know what gets the clicks and we know what gets the views and we know what gets the attention and we know what, we know what that is. The buildings burning, the violence, the folks whether you're talking about on our community, the, 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 the coons like Candace Owens spouting her bullshit and her nonsense and her stupidity and her ignorance and her hate and her vitriol and her racist views, or it's on the right side where we're talking about let's focus more on the riots and let's focus on the looting and let's focus on that more than we're speaking about why those things participated to begin with. And so I know if you really concentrate on those certain things that you can kind of get lost into what... I'm kind of thinking about the direction that I'm going with this, the observation that I saw, and then and then going back into history and thinking about what happens when we have these uprisings like this. You know what? Out of all of this bullshit, out of all of this nonsense, out of this tragedy that happened to George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd was again put a spotlight on those communities of oppressed and degradation and disrespect from um, from from others in the community how it shed a light on how 
oppressed they are, how second-class citizenship they are in terms of what they can do, in terms of their view and their place in the world that we live in and the country that we live in right now. The one positive thing that I saw was the chance for this country to come together to learn and to grow. You know, the situation when I was down last uh, weekend, last Sunday when I was down on the strip with the protesters, I didn't see just black protesters. I didn't just see just uh, Hispanic protesters. I didn't see just a mixture of black and Hispanic protesters. I saw protesters from each side, each place from the community, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. I saw it all. I saw it all. And it was wonderful. And uh, most of them were uh, young folks. And it's like, and I said to myself, man, this is the time really in a situation like this where we need more people from other communities to help the black and brown communities educate those who are still ignorant and unaware of the totality of what society is for everybody. And I'll get to Drew Brees in the next segment, but I'm just mainly talking about every time something like this happens, whether we're speaking way back in 1965 with Watts, whether we're speaking way back in 1967 with Newark, whether we're speaking way back in 1980 with what happened, the violence that happened in Liberty City in Miami when four police officers were acquitted of murder, whether we're talking about the situations in New York City, whether we're speaking about what happened to Rodney King, whether we're speaking about what happened to Sandra Bland, whether we're speaking about what happened to Tamir Rice, on and on and on and on and on. One thing I see, especially when the uh, when the anger from those communities escalate, I see the opportunity in every time something like that has happened, maybe not as much as we want, and maybe not as much as we were hoping for, but I see society moving forward just a little bit. Now, yes, there are some parts, and you know, I throw out a lot of Malcolm X, and I throw out a lot of James Baldwin, and I throw out a lot of Martin Luther King, and I throw out a lot of what's been going down, what was happening in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, in the 20s, and such, in terms of um, race relations, in terms of unity, in terms of togetherness, in terms of each community understanding one another, where one community is sort of kind of setting their ways and have that privilege to them, which won't allow themselves to open up and be real and really embrace some of the things that we're going through and embrace some of the changes that we need to be made and embrace some of the things in terms of the, 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 the genuineship that we go through. I know that there's one side of the community because of their privilege really hasn't been able to really want to take the time to get to know us a little bit better, get to understand the feelings and the pains and the everyday that we go through. But every single time something like this, whether it's the George Floyd, whether it's the Rodney King, whether it's the uh, rots, the uh, um, uh, riots from Los Angeles in 1994, 95, somewhere around there, I see the younger generation just coming on just a little bit more and a little bit more. But for my generation, I'm 51 years old, so for my generation and up, it's going to be hard for everybody to kumbaya and come together and learn and become the utopian society that we all hope and pray for. So for that part, we can always get better. We can always learn. We can always unify. We can always make society a better place regardless of what age that you're in. I'm not saying that for those of my generation and up and maybe those a little bit before my generation, maybe speaking in the age group of 42 or 43 or 44. I'm not saying that the chance 
or the opportunity or the willingness to try to improve, to try to come together, to try to be harmonious. I'm not saying that that's a pipe dream. I'm not saying that that's unrealistic. I'm not saying that's not even worth fighting for, worth dying for, worth looting for, worth riding for, worth screaming for, worth yelling for, worth kneeling for. I'm not saying all those things. But what I'm saying is in terms of this world, this society moving forward, as people from my generation start to get older and we start to slow down a little bit and we start to you know, move on to the other phases of our life, this world is going to be turning over to the younger folks. The, this world is going to be turning over to the millennials. The, 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 this world is going to be turning over to the people who I saw marching in the streets. These are the people who I saw protesting. These are the ones who are coming together, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Muslim, Jews, Asians. I already said Asians another race group of Asians, all groups and races and faces and political backgrounds and sexual orientations, they're all coming together when this is starting to take, when, um, when these protests are happening, especially now the most recent one with George Floyd. So it makes me hopeful. It makes me hopeful that when I'm at the age, if I'm still living in my 70s or my 80s, if the Lord still wants me to keep me here, that hopefully the people who are going to be taking care of me the people who are going to be taking care of this country, the people who are going to be taking care of this world, the people who are going to be changing and rearranging society, moving it in the direction that they want to move it in, I'm hopeful when I see these protests. I'm hopeful when I see the different people of different backgrounds, the different genders, the different races, the different everything, coming together, hand in hand, marching, doing what they need to do. It makes me hopeful. It gives me hope. That by the time I get to that stage in my life, if the Lord allows me to get there, that the world will be in a much better place than it is June 5th, 2020. That's my hope. That's my dream. That my beautiful, wonderful, talented, awesome goddaughter, Sydney Davis, that her generation can take this country, can take this world that we live in and move it forward in terms of how we relate to each other, how we deal with each other, how we tolerate each other, how we listen to each other, how we educate each other. Hopefully, I'm hoping that the younger generation, I'm hoping that the millennials can take the baton that's being passed and not do the same mistakes that my generation did, just like my generation not doing the same mistakes that the generation before us did. Continuing to move forward. I, I, I look, man, I get it. I understand. Sometimes we take a look out the window. Sometimes we take a look at the television. Sometimes we take a look at Twitter. Sometimes we take a look at the comments on Yahoo and we just say to ourselves, man, we're not going anywhere. Sometimes we take a look at the fucking idiot that's in the White House right now and the 60 plus million idiots who voted for him as I'm talking about unity. And <laughs> I'm talking about unity and coming together, but yet I'm calling people who voted for the jackasses in the White House now idiots. Let me rephrase. Learning. I'm learning, trying to get better. Let me rephrase. For those who made the mistake of putting that lying, misogynistic, racist, amoral, no character, low character piece of shit that's in the White House right now, sometimes we take a look at all of the negatives that's going on in this country and that's going on in this world, and we say, damn, man, we're, we're not getting any better. We're moving backwards and all of these types of things, and we can be the glass half empty group. We can be cynical. We can be negative in that in that realm. It's easy to. But if you take a look at the totality of where we've come, if you look at the totality of the different generations and the positions and the thoughts and the feelings that we're moving in, it's it's not where we want to be, but we are moving in the right direction. Slowly, 
Armando Vasquez's children, they're pushing us in the right direction. Chris Ortiz's children, they're pushing us in the right direction. Mike Hootner's daughter, pushing us in the right direction. My brother Mikel Davis, her daughter, pushing us in the right direction. You know, Keith, uh, we're just moving, hopefully, that we're moving in the right direction. And sometimes we just have to step back and think about what we were when we were that age, what we were when we were in our 20s, in our teens, in our early 30s and such. And realize now, we take a look at those who are of that age now, for those who are right now in their in their 20s, first time we're going to be able to vote, first time doing all of these important things in our country. We take a look at them and we take a look at where we were and we say, okay, there's been some progress. There's not as much, again, not as much as we want it to be, but you know what, doggone it, we're, there, there, is some, there is some progress, and we're moving forward. So oh, that's, that's the one thing that, man, that's the one thing that I'm hopeful for, that Misha and McCole Davis can move this country in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? That Mark Lawrence's children can move this country in the right directions. When they become of age, Marvin Prather's kids can move this country, can continue to move this country in the right direction. Maybe, hopefully, praying that it's a lot faster than what we did, but this George Floyd situation and everything that went down, hopefully begging that we can go ahead and move this in the right direction. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that I could be with you. Any any of my boys or any of my gals who I forgot to mention in terms of their children moving their moving the society in the right direction, I apologize, but... I know the friends that I have. I know the people that uh, I'm dear to and friends with and everything. I know that you are great parents and you are moving David O'Neill's kids, my stepbrother. I know that he's moving his kids in the right direction. Liz Wall, I know that she's moving her son in the right direction. Veronica Lancaster, I know that they're moving, she's moving her children in the right direction. Cheryl Moody Oliver, I know that her two boys, they're being moved in the right direction. So, man, it's, it's easy. It's easy to take a look. Let's see what's happening on the television screen and read the comments in Yahoo and take a look at Fox News sometimes and think to ourselves, man, we ain't doing shit. We're moving backwards, this, that, and the other. We can take a look at the idiot that's in the White House and say, man, we're, we're, we're tearing apart at the seams and everything. But I'm hoping, and maybe I'm just a penny Andy. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not seeing, maybe I got Drew Brees disease in this situation of, of, of being tone deaf and really not taking a look at things. But I believe that even though the injustice is still there, even though the oppression is still there, even though the racial discrimination is still there, even though there have been still wide range of uh, um, discrimination within communities of color, that uh, we are moving forward. Just think about this before I go ahead and speak a little bit about, about some sports. But just think about this. I was, I have been a um, guest teacher, shall we say, in the Clark County School District Going on now, doggone it, man. We're talking about maybe 13, 14 years. You know what I'm saying? And it's amazing because now you see in the school districts, in the schools that I go to, I don't, I don't care what's, and I've not been all over in terms of Clark County. I've been to the black schools. I've been to the rural schools. I've been to the inner city schools. I've been to the rich schools. I've been to the poor schools. I've been to the continuation schools. I've been to the schools up there in Spring Mountain where we're talking about kids who have been kicked out of uh, school and have been have been convicted of crimes or doing crimes or whatever. They go up there for the week and that's where they stay. And uh, the juvenile detention camp. I've been to all of these places in terms of uh, my experience in dealing with uh, guest teaching 
for the Clark County School District. I've been to the elementary schools. I've been to the middle schools. I've been to the adult schools. I've been to the high schools. I've done every grade. I've done every class. I've done almost every section of Clark County in terms of guest teaching. And without doubt, without question, I take a look at those kids and I listen to those kids and I say, you know what? They are so far ahead on some issues that when I was in high school that we couldn't get past or we had issues with or that that would start fights with and everything. These kids are so much more on the ball in terms of their tolerance, in terms of their obedience, in terms of their understandings. A lot, a lot different, a whole lot different than when I was going to school, than when you were going to school in terms of your generation, if you're somewhere around my age. I take a look, for instance, I was talking to my buddy the other day and we bring this up, you know, a lot where we say, when you were in high school or just in school period, even when we first started college, did you ever know someone who was gay? And when I say know someone who was gay, I'm speaking about, did you ever know someone who you knew was gay? Because I'm sorry, I had to go to high school and I had to go to middle school and I had to go to college with some kids or a decent number of kids who were gay. Whether it was a boy, whether it was a girl, I, hell, I didn't... I really didn't, if I could think about it, I really didn't start a conversation or know anybody who was gay until my mid-20s when I came back to finish my education at Galtra College. That's the first time I met anybody. I met a lesbian. She was gay. That's the first time I met anybody, man or a woman, who was gay. And it was like, man, do you, do you remember anybody when we were in high school who was like, yeah, he's gay? No, because back when I was going to school, there ain't no way anybody was going to talk about them being gay. No, no one was going to come out and talk about that I'm gay. Because if they did, they would have a hard time. If they didn't get their ass whipped, if someone came out and was gay, I mean, I'm 100% gay, I'm, I'm gay, fuck it, this is me, I'm gay. If they came out in high school, at John F. Kennedy High School, the graduating class of 1985, 86, 87, 88, 89, you know, the years, I wasn't in high school six years, but I mean that, that, that realm, that time period, you know, in terms of people who I knew who graduated from high school, I graduated in 87, so I knew guys from 85, 86, my graduating class of 87, some in 88 and 89, so during that time period, there's no way anybody in our school would come out and talk about I'm gay. Because if they did, at the very least, they would be bullied, they would be heckled, they would be harassed, they would be taunted, they would be their lives would be made a living hell because of that. And at the very worst, they would get their ass kicked every single day because at that time, we did not tolerate gay behavior. Our thoughts and our feelings and our prejudices and our stereotypes toward gay were narrow-minded, they were ignorant, they were foolish, they were stupid, they were everything in between. Downright ignorant. Now I see these kids today at these schools, and I've been seeing it now for over 10 years, these kids come in the classroom, and again, it doesn't matter. It's not like, oh, in only one certain part of town that these kids can feel the freedom to be who they are if they are gay, male or female. No, it's not like that at all. I'm talking about, and I've been to schools in the Hispanic community, and the black community, and the white community, and the poor community, and I've seen them in terms of, you know, the, the freedom of being who they are. No one blinks an eye, no one makes a comment, no one does a dirty look, no one says anything. I mean, you know, if I could just sound ignorant for just a quick second, these guys are gayer than gay. 
And it's like they're hanging around. It's not like they're in a little group by themselves in the, by, you know, in the, in the corner of the uh, corner of the classroom. They're integrated. They're up there kicking it. They're talking. They're doing their things. They're, you know, completely comfortable with those who are completely opposite than they are in terms of their sexual orientation. It is beautiful, man. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It gives me hope. There's tolerance there. Yes. Hey, I'm the first one to kill millennials in the, in the other class, you know, in the, in the, in, and them kids, you know, they're lazy and they want everything for free and this, that, and the other. They don't know what it's like not to have a cell phone. And, oh, my goodness, you take the cell phone, you take the electronics away from them, they might humanly combust and all of these type of things. I mean, you know, we, we pile on and we dog and these things and we, you know, talk about the younger generation and the teenagers today and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something, man. These teenagers today... They're far more advanced than my generation when I was their age in terms of their tolerance, in terms of their understanding, in terms of their ability to try and learn and become together. These kids don't. Again, this is not a situation where it's a utopian society where, oh, yeah, every single you know person and every person that I, you know, all the, are accepting and all of this kind of stuff. No, there's still some bigotry. There's still some uh, 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 negative views toward that, of course. But the improvements and the advancements that have been made, at least from the younger generation, and again, I'm not talking about the last couple of years. I'm not talking about three or four or five years in terms of me seeing this transformation or seeing this eye-opening observation where it was kind of like, I'm up here in class, and of course I'm the teacher, I'm the educator, I'm the adult. I'm not going to sit there and be like, excuse me, sir, hey, man, can you excuse me? Could you tone down your gayness? I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to grow. I'm still trying to get over this. You have to understand, man, for at least the last 35, 40 years, you know, I'm, I'm trying to break 35, 40 years of who and what I thought gay folks were all about. I'm trying to break those ignorant stereotypes. I'm trying to break those ridiculous and moronic views, you know, and, and, and some of them, boom, I'm done, this, that, and the other, but a few I'm, I'm, I'm still working on. It's a sincere, genuine, trying to work on, you know, trying to say, you know, tolerance, this, that, and the other. But sometimes, man, depending upon the day, depending upon how I feel, depending upon how the other class went, depending upon what I need to do after school's over, depending upon life in general, sometimes you just kind of sort of want to say to the guy, the, the gay person who's really outlandish and is really putting it out there, like, hey, 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 hey man, do, do, do you mind just, just bringing it down a little bit, you know. I mean, I'm not at the point where, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, could you just tone it down just a little bit if you don't mind, you know. Oof. But I love the fact that we see these kids today in these classrooms, man, and the way that they embrace and the way they don't judge and the way that, you know, they, they, they include those who are gay. And, again, they don't bring it up. They don't make any mention of it. They don't tell any jokes. And the folks who are gay, with some, they're probably walking to the classroom. When they walk into the classroom, the way they act, the way they behave, I probably have no idea that they're gay. And there's some who walk in that classroom, and the second they open their mouth, it's like, oh, yeah, he's 150% gay. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's gay, gay to the gay, gay to the gay, gay, gay. And that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Be you, man. Be you. If that's being you, be you. So nothing, hey, you know what? Dealing with it, that's my problem. 
I ain't going to get in your way. I ain't going to discourage it. I ain't going to deny it. I ain't going to put you down. I ain't going to say one flipping word. No. It's my job. It's my responsibility to kind of get used to it because that's part of the world that we're now living in. This ain't the 1950s where, this ain't the 1960s where women were barefoot and pregnant. This ain't the 1950s during the war, during the uh, World War II where uh, the Japanese were, uh, Japanese Americans were put in, uh, put in camps because of the color of their skin or their ancestry. This ain't, you know, the 1960s or the 1950s or the 1920s where black folks had to walk to the other side of the street where white folks were walking down the uh, street because we didn't want to face the repercussions if we didn't. You know, we can go ahead and we can go ahead and date white women. We can go ahead and live in y'all's neighborhood. We can go ahead and go to your schools. We can go ahead and go to your universities. We can go ahead and take your jobs if we're qualified. So all of those things is progress. And, uh... For me, and some of the things in terms of what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through and what I'm learning from, it's a beautiful experience. Growing, learning, being tolerant, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So we're speaking about some of the positive things that happens when these acts of racial violence become public. And then we see the, the thunderstorm the first couple of days and we see the riots and we see the looting and we see the acts of police brutality. And we see the lack of leadership and the lack of understanding and the lack of deafness and the lack of the ability of our leader, our so-called leader, the person in charge of this country to act in a humanitarian or competent way. And we read some of the insults, we read some of the rhetoric, we read some of the foolishness, we see some of the negativity, we see some of the ignorance, we hear some of the ignorance from these folks. Don't get down, man. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Don't talk about we're going backwards. Don't get negative. Just remember the completeness, the 100%ness of what's going down. Don't take a small sliver here. Don't take a small sliver there. Don't talk a small sliver there and think that's the, that's the entire pie. You know, the majority of the pie being served is tasting good. It's wonderful. It's hopeful. And it gives me hope. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World in Sports? Wait a minute. Wendell, what are you talking about? Wendell's World in Sports. This man's up here talking about, you know, gay people and this, that, and the other, and tolerance and everything. And we're, how far are we into this podcast? We're 25 minutes into this podcast, and he's finally up here talking about Wendell's World in Sports? Yeah, man, get to some sports, will ya? Let me tell you something. I, I'm with you. This is a sports talk discussion podcast that's what Wendell's World of Sports the podcast is all about the foundation of this podcast is talking about what's going on in the world of sports giving you my thoughts and my feelings and my opinions about what's happening in the on the football field or the baseball diamond or the basketball court or the ice rink or the square circle inside the octagon on the tennis court yes yes I want to talk about my main man Roger Federer I want to talk about my main man uh He's not my main man anymore, John Jones, since he's talking about trying to give up the uh, light heavyweight title because him and Dana are in another spat. Good Lord, have mercy. But I want to talk about what's happening in the NBA. You know, you know how much I want to talk about my Georgetown Hoyas. We just got ourselves another recruit. You know that I'm just frothing at the mouth to talk about those things. You know I want to be talking about what's going on in the NFL. You know I want to be talking about what's happening in college football in terms of, you know, the... 
the, the ridiculousness when you put everything into importance upon what's going on in the world today. Yes, I want to talk about the importance of Dak Prescott signing a contract with the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Yes, I want to talk about the projection that the Washington Snyderskins are going to be having on the football world. Yes, I want to talk about, you know, the quarterback situations at LSU and Alabama and and and. and Oklahoma and Oregon and all of them places. Yes, I want to talk about teams in the top 25 for college football this year and what they're going to be doing. Oh, I just want to, I want to treat those topics. I want to treat what's going on in baseball in terms of who's doing what team, what team is surprising, what team is failing, what are the Nationals doing to try to defend their championships, what are the uh, new Los Angeles Dodgers looking with Mookie Betts on the team, how are the Boston uh, Red Sox handling uh, their collapse in terms of what they needed to do to get rid of David Price and others. I want to talk about how Garrett Cole is going with the New York Yankees and how important he is. I want to talk about all those things, but unfortunately, number one, none of those things are happening because of this pandemic. And number two, sometimes world society events, events in society, it's going to affect what's going on in the playing areas. And sometimes I had mentioned before in other podcasts, Look, I understand those who are sitting there talking about, look, we're going to, what's happening with George Floyd, what's happening with this, what's happening with the riots, what's happening with that, what's happening when the asshole in chief says something ridiculous, racist, incendiary, disrespectful. We're just going to stay away from all of that stuff and we're just going to concentrate on sports because people who tune into my show want to hear sports. They don't want to hear what's going on in the real world, whether it's for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours. Some podcast, three fucking hours? Are you serious? But someone can talk that long for three hours? Jesus. Well, but uh, that's what some folks' um, rationale is. Can't blame them. Don't blame them. Not going to criticize. That's cool. That's fine. I get it. I understand it, man. Sometimes you need a break from this shit. Sometimes it's like, hey, I'm really interested. Just to just give me a half an hour's worth and let me speak of the sublime and the ridiculous. You know, let me get my dangerous fuck about... Uh, the Dallas Cowboys doing uh, Dak Prescott wrong because he's not sign- he, they're not signing him to a long-term contract worth somewhere around $40 million. You know, let me go ahead and let me revisit the inane, ridiculous, idiotic discussion about who who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I, I love the discussion about that stuff. I, I would rather, you know, spend 30 minutes, 60 minutes of my day before I have to go back to what's going on in the real world. I would rather, you know... Take that break. Take that reset from the real world. Come to a podcast and listen to that. I understand it, man. So I get it. This is not something where I'm going to be bashing these guys, but unfortunately, I can't do that. I can't leave the outside world if it's going to be affecting sports. And the whole deal with George Floyd, blame LeBron James. Blame Steph Curry. Blame all these athletes who decided to voice their displeasure correctly so, rightfully so, thank you very much so. Blame those guys. Those are the people who have me go ahead and discuss these things. First, give you my thoughts and feelings because Wendell's world and sports, this is also about me. You know, I want to go ahead and I want to give you guys who are listening to my podcast, I want to let you know what I'm all about, where I'm coming from, try to make that connection. You know, that's what I'm talking about. So just based on that, I want to give you where I stand in terms of when something like these um, protest or what happened to George Floyd went down. I want to give you a piece of me. I want to give you some knowledge of what I'm all about. So maybe with that understanding, 
hopefully, A, I can kind of get you interested if you're not on the same page with some of the things that you should be on in terms of harmony and uni unity together in this, at least hear my voice, hear my thoughts, hear my opinions. If you take them, if you eat them, if you digest them, fine. If you throw them up, if you deny it, fine also. But I just want to get it out there to you. Especially, again, when real, there's really nothing going on in sports. And also when a situation like George Floyd and the protesting, which brings up uh, the discussion of police brutality and other things, it also gives me, an, uh, you know, it, it also makes that connection between that issue and then how it affects the players, how it affects the sports that I'm talking about. Because those things do infiltrate these sports leagues. And these guys who are playing in these sports leagues, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, or whatever, it does affect them as human beings. And if it affects them as human beings, how will it affect them on the football field, the baseball diamond, inside the octagon, inside the square circle, on the ice rink, on the basketball court? So those are some of the reasons why. And plus, just because I'm just passionate about uh, what I'm talking about. I mean, when, when these things happen, it's my obligation here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. It's my obligation, first and foremost, to discuss them, to discuss and give my opinion. Just as a citizen of the United States and of, of the planet Earth, being one of God's children, and discuss, again, how it relates and affects the world of sports. And one of the things I've always, I guess the, maybe the only thing that myself and the Laura Ingram crowd can agree on, the whole shut up and dribble, catch, throw, hit, tackle, pass crowd, the only thing that me and that crowd can agree with, that, hey, look, man, you know, I do a sports talk radio program. Well, not radio. When I do a sports podcast, sports talk podcast, sometimes it's necessary to speak out on social justice, be a social justice warrior. When it's appropriate. But there's other times when, look, man, you just need to shut up and talk about what's going on in the world of sports. The important, interesting things, no matter how mundane or inane it might be when compared to what's going on in the real world, the everyday. Look, man, sometimes you just need to shut the fuck up and just start, start talking about sports. I don't give a fuck about what's going on in the real world right now. Just shut the fuck up and talk about sports. I'm tuning into this podcast to talk about sports. There was an incredible performance by LeBron James last night. I want to talk about him. Did you see that game between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Houston Rockets where Kawhi and James Harden were going after each other? What the implications of that movie moving forward? Talk about that game. Talk about the season. Talk about that. What's happening in the NFC East? Who's going to be winning the NFC East? Talk about what's going to be happening with Tom Brady joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What does that mean for the Buccaneers moving forward? Man, talk about the realignment, you could say, as far as the balance of power is concerned, when we're speaking about the AL East and baseball, again, with the improvements that the New York Yankees made and the subtractions that the Boston Red Sox made. Man, talk about that. Talk about that with the same fervor. Talk about that with the same passion and enthusiasm that you're talking about with some of these social issues. I get that. I understand that. And basically, most of the times, that's what I want to do. I want to sit up here and give you irrational passion and enthusiasm about Georgetown winning or losing a basketball game. Like all of a sudden, that's going to change my life. Like all of a sudden, that's going to take the roof off my house. That's going to remove food from my table. That's going to take money out of my bank account. I don't gamble, so again, like it's going to take money out of my bank account. Like somehow, some way, Georgetown winning or losing a basketball game is supposed to somehow affect my life, positive or negatively, you know, but that's where I want to be, 
that's where I want to extend all of my passions and my energies when doing a podcast. There's plenty of time for me to talk about what's happening in the world outside of sports, but this is a sports talk podcast, and that's what I want to do, and that's what I try to give you. So I know for the last couple of weeks, I've had to talk about what's happening in the world today. I want to talk about what's happening in the world today and how it affects you and how it affects me and how it affects the next LeBron James and how the events and what we do from here is going to affect the next Roger Federer, the next Rafael Nadal, the next Conor McGregor, the next Randy Couture, the next, um, the next uh, um, uh, CC Sabathia. You know, I want to talk about that. Affects the next Tom Brady, the next Peyton Manning, who comes down the road in terms of their talent to play that sport, in terms of their genius to play that sports, in terms of their potential to play that sports. I mean, hell, could we imagine that I always talk about we need to, maybe there might, this might be the last time that I might see a creature on the basketball court with the skills and the talent and the impact as far as the basketball player that LeBron James had, how lucky we were that the gap between Michael Jordan and LeBron James was short in terms of two guys who were going to go down as two of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. We didn't have to wait 40 years for the next LeBron, for, the, for someone to challenge Michael Jordan in terms of his greatness, in terms of his impact, in terms of his global impact, in terms of his popularity, in terms of the impact that he made on the game of basketball and the world in general, that global icon that he's become. We didn't have to wait 50 years for that. We didn't have to wait another lifetime for that. Jordan retired, what, in 2003 or something like that, then LeBron came along a couple of years later. How lucky were we? And at the same time, bridging that gap was Kobe Bryant, how lucky were me? How lucky were me and you and everybody else who's a basketball fan, who's a sports fan, who's a person on this planet Earth, that we were blessed with those three guys and of those who came before them. Man, if we could somehow, some way, make this world a better place to live in, and we could learn more tolerance, and we can do what we need to do to improve those in the inner city, prove those in the white ghetto, prove those situations in Appalachia, the ability for those who are geniuses, whether it be on the basketball court, the baseball diamond, the tennis court, the squared circle, the ice rink, if we can eliminate some of the potential roadblocks that might be having them go a different direction, how many times have we heard folks in the inner city, whether we're talking about Jason Kidd or whether we're talking about all of these guys who came from Oakland, who came from Houston, who came from New York City, who came from Philadelphia, who came from Washington, D.C., who came from the ghettos of Chicago, Illinois, and such, whether it's Isaiah Thomas, whether it's Mark McGuire, whether it's any of those guys. And these all-time great NBA basketball players, Carmelo Anthony from the streets of Baltimore, Maryland, how many times have we sat there and they've told us, man, you know what, I was good, but I played with this guy or I played with these guys or on the block or in the neighborhood or when we were playing basketball on the, on the playground, there was this guy, man, who was fucking unbelievable. There was this guy who was a better player than me. He was a better shooter than me. He would whoop my ass one-on-one -on -one all the time. He was this, he was that. But because of poverty, but because of the drug scene, but because of crime, but because of other things in the neighborhood, in the community, some of the roadblocks that were put there, he wasn't able to do something that I did. And how many times have we heard these great, great basketball players or these great, great boxers or these great, great athletes 
talk about, man, when I was a youngster growing up in the predicament and the environment that I was living in, <laughs> do you know how many times I chose A when choosing B would have meant that I never would have gotten here? So you never would have heard of LeBron James. You never would have heard of Dwayne Wade. You never would have heard of Carmelo Anthony. You never would have heard of any of these guys. You never would have heard of Adam Jones and the Baltimore Orioles. You never would have heard of Jameis Winston. You never would have heard of any of these players who are doing their stuff today. It just came down a hair. It just came down between one single decision that I had to make. And damn it, I guessed right. And those guys, my friends, and my buddies who were just as good as me, who could have made the same impact as me, maybe even better, they instead of choosing A, they guessed B, and now they're in prison, now they're dead, now they're strung out, now they're not doing anything, now they're in the street corner. Randy Moss talked about that when he was growing up in Rand, West Virginia, about the man, you know, the, there was high school football and basketball players and great athletes who unfortunately took the wrong turn, and where are they now? In their mid-30s, in their mid-40s, in their mid-50s. And what are they doing? They're hanging out on the street corner, not doing anything. So if we can, as a society, if we can, as a group of people, through love, through unity, through understanding, through forgiveness, through helping, if we can remove some of those barriers so we can give the next Oscar De La Hoya, so we can give the next Floyd Mayweather Jr., so we can give the next Canelo Alvarez, so we can give these fabulous genius athletes who can make real change and real progress and help move the society even more. And we can go ahead and remove some of those things through love and unity, togetherness, then yeah, that's the reason why I talk about what's going down with George Floyd. That's the reason why I talk about the social injustice. That's the reason why for the last couple of podcasts or the last couple of times I've been on Twitter and such, I've voiced those things. I've discussed those things. Because, hell, maybe we might not get the next LeBron James, but you know what? Don't we need to have some, don't we need someone to take care of this climate change issue? Don't we need someone to find uh, new cures for the, these diseases? Don't we need someone who can teach and who can educate through the school systems, the next generation? So if we remove some of these obstacles, if we make these ghettos, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, if we can make these ghettos more fruitful for those who can become a success, the next LeBron James might not sprout from that. The next Mike Trout might not sprout from that. The next Peyton Manning might not sprout from that in terms of his greatness on a football field or a baseball diamond or a basketball court. But hell, maybe we can come up with the next great scientist. Maybe we can come up with the next great school teacher. Maybe we can come up with the next guy who can, next guy or gal who can come up and solve the, find a cure for cancer or find peace in the Middle East or do something. You know what I mean? Maybe next time we can when there is a pandemic going on or there is a dangerous virus that's going around, maybe through the neighborhoods that were once oppressed and downtrodden, where nothing grew, where nothing thrived, where nothing survived, maybe because of the unity that we have, maybe because of the togetherness that we have, maybe because of what happened to George Floyd and the reactions that happened afterwards, made changes to where, guess what? 
a person who can solve that mystery, who can solve those diseases, go find a cure for those diseases. They came from that broken rubble. They came from that downtrodden area. They came from that Appalachia state where nothing was happening. They came from that Skidmore, Missouri types town where these small towns and these Midwestern states are dying and dying and dying because of lack of uh, opportunity and a lack of caring and a lack of, uh, of, of respect that's given to them. That's the reason why I bring these issues sometimes when needed outside of the playing field, outside of the quote unquote world of sports. And that's the reason why I named this Wendell's World of Sports. Hey, how about that? So, you know, thank you very much. As I always mentioned before, thank you very much for the historic global sports figures that help contribute to the improvement of society. So I can have this freedom to speak and give my opinions about what's going on in the world of sports. And in the real world, unabashed, fearless, very passionate about it. I can go ahead and I can do that. We all know about the Malcolm X, the Thurgood Marshalls, and the um, and, and those type of folks. The Medgar Evers, those in the civil rights movements, and all of those types. We, we, we give thanks, we give praise. Maybe not enough praise, maybe not enough education. But we're getting there, we're getting there. All hail glory to the great Malcolm X. We're getting there. We're learning, we're moving. The younger generation is getting a better idea. Thank you. Keep going, keep improving. Keep going down that avenue. Keep going down that street, please. But as far as the global historic sports figures that give me the opportunity to do a podcast like this, and because I can do this and not worry about the color of my skin being something where it's not going to be um, um, duly noted, I want to thank Jack Johnson. I want to thank Peter Jackson. I want to thank Jesse Owens. I want to thank Althea Gibson, Fritz Pollard. Thank you, Joe Lewis. The Negro Leagues, thank you so much. Major Harris, the first cycling superstar back when cycling was huge you know, at, the, at the turn of the uh, 21st, uh, 20th century. Thank you so much. Wilma Rudolph, thank you. Billie Jean King, thank you so much. Muhammad Ali, the greatest. Jim Brown, thank you. John Carlos, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, 75th birthday today. God bless you. Thank you so much. Arthur Ashe, God bless you. Thank you so much. Bill Russell, true American champion and hero. Jackie Joyner Kersey, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm a superstar like my man Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the home run hero. Hank Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Babe Dietrich and Zaharias, this woman was regarded as the greatest female athlete of all time. She might have been the greatest athlete of all time. She excelled in golf and basketball and baseball and track and field. She was a combination of Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Bruce Jenner around the 1930s and 1940s. Bruce Jenner, not Caitlyn Jenner, 1976 gold medalist winner, Bruce Jenner. The greatest athlete on the planet during that time, Bruce Jenner. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So these historical figures whose deeds on and off the field made a positive impact on society and the world that we live in today. I want to thank you. You know, before I go to a break, you know, the most impressive, hopeful, inspirational thing that I saw that I've heard from a professional athlete since everything went down with the George Floyd situation and these discussions opened up about what we can do in terms of improving the society, how we can move forward, how we can become together as one. The most impressive thing that I saw from an athlete. It wasn't anything from LeBron James or Steph Curry, even though I thank them very much and they have been very instrumental and I, again, appreciate them. It wasn't anything from a coach. It wasn't anything that was said on Twitter. It wasn't anything that was done by an athlete 
or in, in terms of, um, you know, on, on the streets or anything like that. It definitely wasn't the woeful, inept, and weak response from Tiger Woods. But then again, I would expect nothing more from the vanilla, toothless Tiger Woods. But the most incredible, inspirational, hopeful thing that I saw and that I heard was from Coco Goff, the 16-year-old tennis player potential superstar her comments that were made during a peaceful demonstration in her hometown of Delray Beach Florida it was inspiring this girl was this girl is 16 years old now you knew what kind of character she had you knew that she was a different type of female the fact that she can come on and, uh, and do as well as she did at her age on the playing courts the grass of Wimbledon and some of the other majors, how well she did, how well she performed. So you know right there that this woman has some fiber in her that, 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 that reads superstar, that, that, that reads leadership, that reads leader, that reads all of these things. Hopefully, God blessing, praying that she can harness and she can move into the right direction with these things so she can maximize those talents. But man, her comments again, made during a peaceful demonstration, in her hometown of Delray Beach, Florida. Absolutely awe-inspiring. I think it's sad that I'm here protesting the same thing that she did 50 plus years ago. So I'm here to tell you guys this, that we must first love each other no matter what. We must have the tough conversations with my friends. I've been spending all week having tough conversations trying to educate my non-black friends on how they can help the movement. Second, we need to take action. And yes, we're all here protesting, and I'm not of age to vote, but it's in your hands to vote for my future, for my brother's future, and for your future. So that's one way to make change. Third, you need to use your voice. No matter how big or small your platform is, you need to use your voice. I saw Dr. King quote that said, the silence of the good people is worse than the brutality of the bad people. So you need to not be silent, because if you are choosing silence, you are choosing the side of the oppressor. So, so I heard many things this past week, and one of the things I heard is, well, it's not my problem. So this is what I have to tell you this. If you listen to black music, if you like black culture, if you have black friends, then this is your fight too. years old 16 years old such poise such articulance such intelligence 
That's leadership right there, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's someone right there who can make a change for the better. That's someone when we're talking about 30, 40 years from now, when I'm up in heaven, I'm hanging out with my parents and I'm up there watching Ali fight, fight Frazier for the 400th time while listening to some oldest Redding records and hopefully kicking it with Sam Cooke. Man, that's the situation where it's like she's going to be a person who's going to be moving this society that we live in for the better. When I hear her talk, it's like, yeah, she's going to be the one that's going to make the world that y'all live in a better place. She's going to be that person. She's going to be an inspiration, not just for those in Delray Beach, not just for those in the South, not just for those in the United States. I'm talking about worldwide. That has public icon figure written all over it. You tie that in to her game? From that audio, that's the Williams sisters right there. That's the effect that the Williams sister has. That's the impact felt by the Williams sisters. Martina Navratilova, what she did. That allowed Coco Golf to be Coco Golf and be so articulate and be so intelligent and be so thoughtful. The Williams sisters, the Martina Navratilova, Florence Griffiths Joyner, Dawn Staley, Vivian Stringer, Pat Summit, and Donovan Drysdale. You see the effects, you see the impact that those women that those women had on Coco Golf. I'm quite sure Coco Golf has no idea who Ann Donovan Drysdale is. I'm quite sure she might be kind of a novice when it comes to Pat Summon and everything that she did. But what those women did through sacrifice, through talent, through determination, through toughness, giving Coco Golf the the platform giving Coco Golf the opportunity to show her intelligence, to show her strength, to show her potential to be such a such a moving figure in our society if she fulfills her immense talent in tennis. That's what those women gave her. That's what the Williams sister, Venus Williams, Coco Golf has said many times, the Venus and Serena has been there, her mentors from afar. She wanted to be like those girls. And we know what Venus did for women's rights in terms of fighting for equal play. We know what Venus and Serena did for black girls out there to see them as being strong, as fear, see them as being fearless, see them as being, unapologi uh, being unapologetically black and being proud of it. That's the effect. Same thing with Martina Navratilova, who inspired the Williams sisters because of her strength and because of her conviction and because of her... Uh, uh, non-cowardness to back down and to express and be happy who she was. Same thing with Billie Jean King, who Martina Navratilova got her inspiration from. Same with Dawn Staley, Florence Griffin Joyner. It goes on and on and on and on and on. So there's that track. There's that line. There's that feed. And we see it now with Coco Golf. And I'm telling you right now, there's someone who might be five or six years old who's a beautiful black female right now, whether they're talking about in the ghettos of Watts or maybe in the upper crust of uh, of, uh, of uh, Hollywood, California, or maybe in the beautiful places in Seattle, Washington, or the inner cities of Dallas, Texas. There's a black girl out there who is very young who's going to take a look at what Coco Golf said and says, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to strive for. She sounds awesome. She sounds intelligent. That's what I'm going to be shooting for. That's the direction I want to go in. How do I get that? How do I go there? First of all, I got to be educated. First of all, I got to be learned. First of all, I have to have a brain. I have to develop that brain. And that's where it starts. And moving all the way back 
to the George Floyd situation, what happened as far as turning this tragedy, turning this murder, turning what has happened in this moment in time, in this history book moment in time that we've been going through for the first six months of 2020, not just with the pandemic, but now with the uprising as far as what happened to George Floyd. All of this comes back to, don't talk about this as a symbol of us going backwards. Don't talk about this as a symbol of us not moving where we need to go. Let's take this moment. Let's take this time. Let's take this tragedy. Let's take everything that it comes. Let's turn this positive into a negative and give it to the younger folks. Give it to the older folks. And let's head in that direction that we need to go to make this world, what? You got it, a better place. World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, man. Every time I want to talk about regular, nonsensical, overhyped on the what's going on on the field of sports, Drew Brees brings me back in. No, <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy. Okay, the Drew Brees situation. Comments he made on Yahoo Finance regarding his thoughts and feelings about kneeling during the national anthem and his feelings about the American flag. Drew, look at listen to the conviction. Look at listen to the strength in his in his voice when he's speaking about this. Drew, go ahead. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s, and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better. 
and then we are all part of the solution. All right, so there you go. And that's what sparked it all. That's what started it off. So from the audio, it says that he'll never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag. It's like, oh, Lord have mercy. We're going to go through this again. I thought we were past this bullshit. Really? Really? We're going to go back to this? He explained what he sees and feels when the national anthem is played and he takes a look at the flag. He envisions his two grandfathers who served in World War II risking their lives to protect the country and make this world a better place, including, yes, the civil rights movement, and while we're still a ways to go and we ain't perfect and there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the communities and all of those type of things, but you know what? Doggone it, this flag has been great and this flag has been this, that, and the other, so if you disrespect it by kneeling, God damn you! So, of course, the criticism was harsh, inappropriate. LeBron James lit him up on Twitter, Ed Reed calling him a racist, Richard Sherman talking about he's lost, even though it's really interesting with Richard Sherman, because wait a minute here. I'm not, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not going to bag on Richard Sherman or say that he's a phony or this, that, and the other, but wait a minute, I would ask him. You're up here killing Drew Brees, rightfully so, not, not, not talking about that, but wait a minute, don't you have Nick Bosa on your team? Wasn't Nick Bosa a guy where, you know, he was a, he's a fan of the jackass racist that we have in the White House right now, and he was, uh, on his Twitter account, he followed some folks who are far right wingers, and he was talking about Colin Kaepernick being a joke, and all of these other things, and Richard Sherman was sitting up there talking about he's a great kid, and, you know, he uh, has his right to an opinion, and all those type of things, I mean, wasn't, wait a minute now, Richard, so you're going to be sitting up there making excuses and saying, oh, shucks, don't worry about it, he's fine, this, that, and the other, he's learning from, uh, when you're talking about Nick Bosa, but now you're going to sit here and destroy and kill Drew Brees for what he said? I'm thinking to myself, which one is kind of worse? They're both bad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, in the school, uh, what is better? The guy who gets a 15 out of 100 on his test or the guy who gets a 21 out of 100 on his test? They both flunked. They both should be embarrassed. That's both uh, pathetic. But yet and still, 21 is better than 15, even though they both got an F. So for me, it's like, okay, what Drew Brees said was ridiculous. But damn, Richard, you're going to kill him. We don't know if he's killing him, but he would end him pretty good. And you're going to sit there and not really say one word boo about Nick Bosa. Interesting, interesting. But the most eloquent and thought-provoking message uh, from all of the opinions that people had concerning what Drew Brees says was his teammate, Malcolm Jack- Jenkins. I thought that his uh, passionate, eloquent um thoughts and opinions that he gave on his, I don't know if it was Twitter or I don't know what social media platform I got this from, but uh, I saw it. It was, I was moved. I was touched. It was thoughtful. It was intelligent. And here it is right here. I promise you this, the onslaught of we have to deal with is crazy right now. Drew Brees, if you don't understand how hurtful, how insensitive your comments are, you are part of the problem. To think that because your grandfathers served in this country and you have a great respect for the flag, that everybody else should have the same ideals and 
and, and, and thoughts that you do is ridiculous. And it shows that you don't know history. Because when our grandfathers fought in, for this country and served, and they came back, they didn't come back to a hero's welcome. They came back and got attacked for wearing their uniforms. They came back to people, to racism, to complete violence. And then here we are in 2020 with the whole country on fire. Everybody witnessing a black man dying at the hand, being murdered at the hands of the police with his just in cold blood for everybody to see. The whole country's on fire. And the first thing that you do is criticize one's peaceful protest. That was years ago when we were trying to signal a uh, 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 sign for help and signal for our allies and our white brothers and sisters, the people we considered to be friends, to get involved. It was ignored. And here we are now with the world on fire and you still continue to first criticize how we peacefully, pro how we peacefully protest because it doesn't fit in what you do and your beliefs without ever acknowledging that a fact that the man was murdered at the hands of police in front of us all and that it has been continuing for centuries. That the same brothers that you break the huddle down with before every single game, the same guys that you bleed with and go on a battle with every single day, go home to communities that have been <coughs> decimated. Drew on, uh, unfortunately, Unfortunately, you're somebody who doesn't understand their privilege. You don't understand the potential that you have to actually be an advocate for the people that you call brothers. You don't understand the history and why people like me, people with my skin color, whose grandfather fought for this country, who served, and I still protested against that, against the, not against the national anthem, but against what was happening in America and what our, the fabric of this country is for, or stands for. If you don't understand that other people experience something totally different than you. Then when you talk about being the brotherhood and all this other bull it's just lip service or it's only on the field. Because when we step off of this field and I take my helmet off and I'm a black man walking around America and I'm telling you I'm dealing with these things, I'm telling you my communities are dealing with these things. And your response to me is, don't talk about that here. This is not the place. Drew, where is the place, Drew? I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Because while the world tells you that you're not worthy, that your life doesn't matter, the last place you want to hear from guys that you that you go to war with and that you consider to be allies and to be your friends I thought that was excellent I thought that was moving it was intelligent it was thought-provoking it's something that wasn't just going straight on emotion even though he was very emotional about it it was awesome Malcolm Jenkins poured his heart out his thoughts and his feelings his soul and you can tell how hurt he was by the uh, thoughts and comments that Drew Brees made I mean, it was really a situation where it was like, damn, man, you just stabbed me in the, in the back. You, you played me as a fool, man.
I mean, and that hurts. It had nothing to do with me being macho, like, man, motherfucker, what you... No, it's just a matter of, man, I had true love, genuine love for you, and you go ahead and you do this to me? That hurts, man. That really does hurt. I mean, I like the fact that he said if you don't understand how hurtful and insensitive your comments are, then you're part of the problem. A-M-E-N, exclamation point, exclamation point. The lack of knowledge in the history that he pointed out was true. And again, he made the point, and I'm quite sure Drew Brees wasn't thinking about this. I mean, when he made, when Drew Brees made those comments about his grandfathers and everything, he was focusing mainly only on his grandparents. Solely. And Malcolm Jenkins had to let him know that, yeah, man, when black soldiers came back from the war, they came back to terror. They came back to violence. They came back to prejudice. They came back to racism. They came back to second-class citizenship. They came back to all of those things. No one was sitting up there giving them parades. No one was having them run around kissing white women on the streets after the war was over. None of that kind of stuff. They never got anything toward the GI Bill like the white boys did. That whole situation didn't exist for them. How they were attacked because they were wearing their, their uniforms. You know, so while... And Jenkins made the point. So while this country burns to the ground because of the oppression that we have been facing, that black and brown people have been facing for decades, and then some points centuries, Malcolm Jenkins' kin folks from way back have been catching hell. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth when it's so clear about what's going on with the burning and the protesting and the video of the cop putting his knee on this guy's throat, George Floyd's uh, throat, torturing him, murdering him. And the first thing that you're going to bring up is something about, hey, for those who <laughs> for those who exercise their First Amendment rights in a peaceful way is somehow someone who you can't deal with, someone who you can't agree with, someone you can't learn from, someone that you can't become educated by in this in this thought pattern concerning this? Wow, man. You know, yeah. Treating the flag, loving the flag the same way that you did? He's rightfully hurt by those comments. He doesn't understand it, Malcolm Jenkins was talking about. He doesn't understand. Drew Brees doesn't understand his privilege and how powerful it is, and how it can be used for the common good. He doesn't see that. He doesn't experience that. He doesn't realize that. And it's sad. And I think Drew Brees, just to cut him some slack, and I'm only saying this because of the work that he's done for those in the community in New Orleans, how he's helped out, how he's given his money, how he's given his time to help out those who are underprivileged in New, in New Orleans. He did that during Hurricane Katrina. So this is not a situation where I think Drew Brees is sitting there talking about, look, I'm going to get $5 million to this cause, but make sure that it doesn't go to any black folks whatsoever. Not one single dime, not one single penny do I want my five mil to go to. You make sure that you give it to the underprivileged whites. I don't care if you have to go down to Baton Rouge. I don't care if you have to go down to Homa. I don't care where you have to find them, but one red nickel better not go to a black girl. Some out here. So I don't think that was Drew Brees' intent when Malcolm Jenkins was talking about, you know, you don't understand his privilege and how it can be used for good. I just think that he was hurt with Drew because he doesn't understand, Drew Brees does not understand how powerful he can be in terms of educating those who feel like him. Because Drew Brees has the opportunity to speak to a Malcolm Jenkins, 
Drew Brees is in a locker room where he can have these conversations about different experiences from guys like Alvin Kamara and guys like Michael Thomas and guys like uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, as I mentioned before, and from guys like Mark Ingram before he went to the Baltimore Ravens. There's plenty of brothers in there in that locker room. There's plenty of black assistant coaches that he can go to. There's plenty of black employees that he can go to. If he needs to be educated about what's going on in the black community, what it's like being a black man and how we're fed up and how we're tired and why this thing took place and why Colin Kaepernick did what he did, there's plenty of chances. And I'm guessing, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing one of the reasons why Malcolm Jenkins was so hurt and so emotional when he was talking about this was, I'm quite sure there were conversations between him and Drew Brees or one of his black teammates speaking about this. So I'm thinking Malcolm Jenkins is maybe getting so emotional because it's like, Drew, we tried to explain this to you. You sat down and you acted and you pretended like you had empathy for it, like you had some understanding, like you wanted to get and to learn this situation, that you were trying to improve in terms of learning what was going on down in the black community, what it's like to be a black man, even though you could never experience that. And then you turn around and then you do this, damn. <laughs> so I can understand the hurtfulness that Malcolm Jenkins was going through with that. Now, when everything is all said and done, and this is Wendell Wallace, this is the Wendell, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, speaking about the whole Drew Brees situation. Now, when everything is all said and done, do, do I think Drew Brees is a racist? No. From what I know, I've never met Drew Brees. I've never talked to Drew Brees. I've never... You know, been in Drew Brees' company, so I have no idea in terms of first-hand knowledge if Drew Brees is a racist or not. But I'm only basing my thought pattern in terms of saying I don't think Drew Brees is a racist from what I know about him that has been portrayed by the media, by his teammates, by his family members and others who know him, by his coaches. I haven't heard anything or any, you know, person come out in terms of when he was with the San Diego Chargers or when he was with the then San Diego Chargers, I didn't make a mistake, watch yourself, the then San Diego Chargers and the New Orleans Saints or when he was back in Purdue or when he was playing down in Texas in high school, I've never heard anybody come out of the woodwork and say, I heard Drew Brees say a racist thing or Drew Brees treated that black man differently and said this slur or whatever. So based on that, that's how I based my opinion upon do I think Drew Brees is a racist and the fact that again, He's done so many things in the community that have helped black people that, again, you mix that into the fact that there hasn't been a one word of negativity concerning his relationship with black players from other black players on his team, other coaches that are black on his team, other personnel from the New Orleans Saints that are black dealing with Drew Brees. I've never heard any of them say he uttered a racial slur or I feel that he didn't treat me like a true human being or any of that nonsense. So that's how I could come. That's how I came with the conclusion to think that, no, I don't think Drew Brees is racist, but I never met the man. I never talked to the man. I've never been around the man. So, you know, take what I'm taking my thoughts and feelings about Drew Brees being a racist with a grain of salt in that, in that thing. Do I think what Drew Brees, what he said was racist? No, I don't think what Drew Brees said was racist. Now, some people might, especially in my community, they might look at what he said, and that might be something like, that's modern-day racism right there, or that's the evolution of what could be perceived as passable slavery. I mean, you know, the, the 
is like a couple of levels up from, you know, your stereotypical racist. The guy from down south with a thick southern accent with a white beater shirt and the, you know, the Mary Lou Jim Bob and, you know, that type of stuff. And again, with a thick accent and, you know, the white beater shirt and he's driving a, he's driving a pickup truck with the American flag and he's, or the Confederate flag. And he's sitting up there talking about them niggers going to be going down there. So that, that type of stuff. I mean, that's kind of like the baseline racism, racist person that, you know, many people envision. You know, we ain't going to have any of them niggers come down here, live down there. Ain't that right, Billy Bob? You know, all kind of, you know, all kind of stuff. You know, we, racism and races have kind of uh, grown and matured and become smarter, you know, in terms of who and who isn't a racist. But no, what Drew Brees said in that situation, that wasn't racist. I'm, gonna, I'm not sitting here saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Drew Brees hates black people. Now, I will say this. Do I think what he said in the video and his comments show uh, that he's cloaked, he's drenched, he's drowning in white male privilege that's been given to him? Yes. Do I feel that what he said shows him to be out of touch with certain parts of society and reality? Yeah. Is he ignorant to those issues based on uh, what he said? Yeah. Do I think that, you know, do I, do I think that what he said was completely tone deaf and blind to his surroundings? Yes. Do I think that it showed an incredible whack, uh, lack of awareness to those around him of b- different backgrounds and upbringings. Yes, 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 and yes. Do what basically do what I do. I think what Drew Brees said was out of touch and stupid. Yeah, one hundred percent, one thousand percent. But do I think that's racist? No, I don't think that's racist. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that racist. But it calls for someone who needs to be educated and needs to be educated fast. Um, so I, all, all of those things, again, I based my, I, again, again, I don't know Drew Brees. I don't know Drew Brees. So I don't want to sit here and talk with any conviction. And even if I did, how well do we really know anybody? Okay. We all thought OJ Simpson was a, was a swell guy, right? We thought Lance Armstrong was an inspirational, wonderful human being. I mean, we can go through the history of times and how well do we really know somebody? Well, he was my best friend. He was great. He was wonderful. I mean, we have serial killers who are out there murdering 10, 20, 30 people, their wives, their children, the people who they live with. They have no idea. It is not because they're stupid. It's not because they have a blind eye. It's because when you're a sociopath or a psychopath, then you have two different personas that you perfect. And Ted Bundy had it. John Wayne Gacy had it. BTK had it. Gary Ridgway had it. Danny Rawlings had it. When John Muhammad had it, these guys who go out here and go nuts and murder people and, you know, Robert Gates and all these guys and their wives and their children and their best friends and their buddies sit there with their scratching their heads talking about, I had no fucking idea. Ted Bundy was a guy who was a, who had a chance to be a lawyer. He had a chance to do some work in Republican politics. How did they know that he was up there murdering close to a hundred women? John Wayne Gacy was with the QCs. He was up there president of the uh, QCs when he was in Iowa. He took his picture with Rosalind Carter at the time, the, um, the, 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 the wife, you know, the, the first lady. How did I know that he was burying young boys in this crawl space? I had no idea. You know, John, uh, um, you know, John Muhammad was a guy who served in war. How did I know that he was the DC sniper? How did I know Robert Gates was a guy who was a family of four, you know, was, was, was uh, volunteering his time. BTK 
Dennis Rader, I mean, this guy was up there in, in, in the churches, you know, helping out the pastors, going to church every Sunday. And now we find out that he's the guy who's up there, you know, uh, torturing uh, women and that type of thing, having sexual addiction, putting himself in women's garb and taking pictures of himself being hung. How the fuck do we know? So how, how well do we know anybody, right? How well do we know anybody to say without any equivocation that, yeah, Drew Brees is not or is a racist? Now, actions and words can give you a good idea. You know, if Drew Brees was running around talking about nigger this and nigger that, and I don't want any niggers living next to me and that type of thing, that would give me a pretty decent idea that Drew Brees might have some issue with blacks, right? right? But, uh, you know, coming from the audio and coming from the video that he took from Yahoo, the action that he's done throughout the community, the respect that he had with his teammates, that points to me, that doesn't point to me as someone who's being racist. Now, let, let me explain something to you. You know when someone's racist, for the most part. You know, if someone's going to be racist, I mean, really racist, I mean, they don't do their best to try and hide it. You know what I mean? So they don't go around and do the things that Drew Brees did within the community. You don't build those type of relationships that he's had with his teammates from high school to college to pros and how everybody speaks so highly of him if he's just sitting there being a just a flat out undenounced racist. So I don't I, I'm not I'm not piling on what Drew Brees said was ignorant, stupid, tone deaf, everything that I said before. A man who is just so drowning in his white privilege that he really doesn't understand his surroundings concerning other people. That doesn't make him racist. Someone with privilege doesn't mean they're racist. It might mean they're ignorant. It might mean they're out of touch. It might mean they're tone deaf. It might mean, mean they're narrow-minded. That doesn't mean someone is um, doesn't mean someone is racist. And from what I know of Drew Brees, this comment doesn't change my opinion in terms of do I think that he's racist or not. So I'm not going to go there with that. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. So with Drew Brees. What's up, man? Is he going to be forgiven or what? Are you going to forgive him? Should he be forgiven? I don't know. I mean, not the first time. This is not the first time. For those who want to sit there and talk about, I'm never forgiving Drew Brees, man. Fuck that motherfucker, man. Fuck that racist motherfucker. For those who want to go down that route and get all Sister Soldier on me, you know, who want to go that route. Of course, man, getting Sister Soldier on you, but we are in the 2020 years. But, I mean, for those who want to go that route, you know, and, 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 and play, you know, free the black man and all that kind of stuff, let's, let's remember now. But remember, there is some, uh, there is some, um, you know, other things going on in terms of this has happened before. You guys remember July of 2013, where a video surfaced of Cooper Cooper Riley, who was up there yelling "nigger this, nigger that" after being denied backstage access at a Kenny Chesney concert, yelling a racial epithet at the uh, bouncer who denied him backstage. And for those who don't remember, listen. Yeah, you remember that? I'll find every N-word here, huh? No interest in, there's no interest in finding any white guys there, huh? I mean, he wasn't going to fight the Hispanics. He wasn't going to fight the Jewish guy. No. I'm going for the cream, baby. I'm going to let you know that I ain't fucking around. I'm not messing around with the second tier stuff. I mean, I ain't messing around with the appetizers. I'm going straight to the main course. Not just one of them. Give me all the black guys out there. I'll fight them. That shows you how tough and bad I am. You don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with this white guy, right? <laughs> right? So in the aftermath of all of that nonsense, the Philadelphia Eagles find Cooper undisclosed amount. 
but he still allowed him to resume activities with the team. I remember it was tense, man. It was really tense. But in the aftermath, most teammates forgave Riley Cooper, including quarterback and team leader Michael Vick. Listen to what Vick had to say in terms of forgiving Riley Cooper. He came to us as a man and, you know, apologized for what he did. Um, you know, as a team, we understood, you know, because we, we, we all make mistakes in life and we all do and say things that uh, maybe we do mean or we don't mean. But, you know, as a teammate, you know, I forgave him. As, as a team, we forgave him. And, you know, we just, um, you know, we, we understand that the magnitude of this situation, we understand that a lot of people may be, be hurt and offended. But, but I know Riley Cooper. I, I know him as a man. Uh, I've been with him for the last three years, and, and I know what type of person he is. So you see from the audio, hey, look, you know, came to them as a man. He apologized for what he said, said he made a mistake in some of the things that he did. You know, Michael Vick talking about, look, man, we've all made mistakes. And I guess when Michael Vick was saying that, uh, especially this was the guy who just got out of Leavenworth for uh, his activities in the dog fighting ring. So, I mean, I guess it takes, I guess when you talk about asking for redemption and forgiveness, I guess Michael Vick is like, yeah, I kind of have some firsthand knowledge on that. But, um, so as a team, though, I remember um, uh, Shady McCoy, uh, who's now, I think, what's he, at Buffalo? He's at Buffalo, Kansas City, one of the teams that, uh, LaShawn McCoy, I remember he was very upset with Riley Cooper, man, when that first went down. He was like, this guy was my friend. This guy was my homie. He's going to go ahead and make that sh say that shit, man? I don't know. I don't know. I am, uh, I'm hurt, confused. I don't know what the fuck's going on. And he forgave him. Teammates, they forgave him because, you know, we know him. We know that was a mistake. You know, it, my, my question moving forward then, since there's already, you know, something on the books that shows that something like this has gone down in terms of a teammate saying something stupid and hurtful and painful and racial, even though I don't think what Drew Brees said was racial, but it hit along racial lines. The Philadelphia Eagles, the majority of his black teammates, the leader of the team, Michael Vick, forgave him, went public with apologizing, with uh, his forgiveness, with him forgiving Riley Cooper. My question moving forward is with the Drew Brees situation, is Malcolm Jenkins going to do the same thing for Drew Brees that Michael Vick did for Riley Cooper? And we have other players who have, you know, faced, who have faced hurt, angry, disgust from their teammates after some of the things that they did that could be perceived as racist. So you remember Bill Romanowski? Spitting in the face of J.J. Stokes, the television cameras, that was back in January 15th, or no, December 15th, 1997, when Romanowski was a member of the Denver Broncos. J.J. Stokes was a member of the um, San Francisco 49ers. Of course, Romanowski being white, J.J. Stokes being black, spitting in his face. The incident angered players in the Broncos locker room, kind of created a fear about race and sports, started the discussion about race and sports. Shannon Sharp was talking about, hey, look, man, I'm from I'm from rural South Carolina. We don't do that shit. Someone does that, that's being perceived as racist. Sorry, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes down. One of that, you know, so Sharp being one of the leaders in the locker room, he forgave Romanowski for what he did. Here, listen. Now, two things, uh, Maggie. We had started to go on like a two or three of, I think maybe that was the fourth game in a row that we had lost. Uh, a third game in a row that we had lost. And so 
uh, uh, emotions and tensions were already running hot, and then this happens. Um, and, you know, you got black and white, and you got a lot of people like, oh, I can't believe he did that. And so we needed to air that because that really could have ripped our locker room apart. But we got up, um, we had said our piece, and, and he apologized and said his emotions got the best of him, and he could assure us that would never happen again. That wasn't the person who he was. And I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because you had, you know, he had never done anything like that before, to my knowledge. And so that was the only thing that I could base it off of. But I was very disappointed in him. I let him know that I was disappointed in him. Uh, but we got through it and we went on to win the Super Bowl that season. So, uh, you know, what you want. I'm a firm believer, Maggie, that anytime a person or something happens in the uh, it's it says more about the locker room than the person than itself. Mm -hmm. So we could have let this this Bill Romanowski situation thing get totally out of hand. But I I think we had, a, well, I know for certain now that we had a strong enough locker room to get our hands around it and make sure it didn't get uh, any larger than what it had already gotten. So you can see from that audio, tensions were already high because the team was on the three-game or four-game losing streak, had the opportunity for teammates to say what they had to say, gave them the one-two. You know, we're talking about that was really outlandish, outrageous, ridiculous, hurtful what you did. But Shannon Sharp forgave him because, look, I knew Bill Romanowski. And I went ahead and I forgave him because that's not something that I know of that he's done before. So if he said he was sorry, if he said that was in the heat of the moment, I mean, later on he tried to sit there and blame um, steroid use or PEDs or some nonsense like that. It kind of gave up, got him out of control and that's the reason why he did that. Again, that's like, you know, someone who's drunk talking about, I didn't mean to call you all those racial slurs. I was drunk. That really wasn't me. Uh-huh. But basically... Shannon Sharp was like, and the rest of those folks in the locker room forgave him because, A, there were a lot of veterans. B, there were those who were forgiving, and they went on to win the Super Bowl that season. So I guess winning in that point cures everything. Again, will Malcolm Jenkins of the New Orleans Saints, teammate of Drew Brees, will he do the same thing in terms of coming out in the next week or two or whenever to say, you know what, me and Drew sat down, we talked things over, I let him know how I feel, I heard what he had to say, I've known him for years, this, that, and the other, I know what he's done for the community, he said that he would do everything that he can to try to help the community, so I'm going to hold him to his word, and from what I know of Drew Brees, you know, I'm not going to forget but I'm definitely going to, in this case, forgive and let's move forward and let's see what happens. Is the relationship going to be the same like it has been before? Probably not, but I'm not going to hate the man, especially if he goes ahead and does what he promised me, what he pledged to me that he would do in terms of seeing what we could do to bring the races together. So if they have that top type of conversation, is Malcolm Jenkins, again, going to go ahead and publicly, publicly and squash this stuff with Drew Brees like, Shannon Sharp did with Bill Romanowski. How about that? John Rocker. Remember that clown? Remember that jackass baseball player for the Atlanta Braves where he did that Sports Illustrated article? And he was talking about when he would ask if he ever thought about playing for a team in New York. And he said, I would retire first at the most hectic, nerve-wracking city. Imagine having to take the number seven train to the ballpark looking like you're riding through Beirut next to some kid with purple hair, next to some queer with AIDS, right next to some dude who got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing. And then he went on to say about New York City itself, the biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners. I'm not a very big fan of foreigners. 
You can walk an entire block in Times Square and not hear anybody speaking English, Asians and Koreans and Vietnamese and Indians and Russians and Spanish people and everything up there. How in the hell did they get in this country? You remember that? Well, you know, later on, and I remember that later on, Hank Aaron, one of the greatest historical figures in the game of baseball, publicly spoke about forgiving uh, John Rocker. At the time, Hank Aaron was the senior vice president with the Braves at that time. And he said, you know, his, at first he really didn't want to hear it. But him and Rocker met at one of his uh, car dealerships in suburban Atlanta. And Aaron's quote was, we had a very, very good conversation. I didn't feel that way before, but I was pleased with the way John presented himself. And I remember a photo shot or uh, the, the camera of those two walking together. Again, will Malcolm Jenkins do the same for Drew Brees, what Hank Aaron did for John Rocker? And there's been instances like that. Former Carolina New York, New York Giant uh, quarterback Kerry, uh, Kerry Collins used a racial epithet that offended teammates, including wide receiver Moose and Muhammad. So this is a situation that's been going on in sports, and they've seemed to make it work. Richie Incognito, remember that motherfucker. You remember that fucking clown using racial slurs and bullying Jonathan Martin. Hey, listen to this. Hey, what's up? You half-nigger piece of shit. I saw you on Twitter. You've been training 10 weeks. I want to come in your fucking mouth. I'm going to slap your fucking mouth. I'm going to slap your real mother across the, the face. <laughs> Fuck you. You're still a rookie. I'll kill you. Yeah, man, I'm quite sure that your mom and dad are very proud that you use that type of language. But then again, maybe they're not. I don't know. But from the audio, you can hear that he called Martin a half N-word piece of shit. And you've been training 10 to 12 weeks. Well, he wants to he wants to come in his mouth and slap his real mother and kill him. Now, Incognito said he was joking. Where, where, where do you find that pattern? Where do you find that skill set to put... That bullshit that really doesn't make any sense or really doesn't have any type of connection. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to throw out that racial slur. Then after that, when I see you, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to come in your mouth. And then after that, I'm going to zip up my pants, find your real mother, slap her. Then I'm going to come back as you're taking my cum out your mouth and kill you. That's, uh, that's joking. That's supposed to be funny? That's supposed to be guy talk? That's locker room talk? That's NFL locker room talk? The boys will be boys talk? Interesting. Mark, Marquise Pouncey, but I think in that situation, I think that guy scared Jonathan Martin so much that uh, I, think, I think that either he retired or he begged for a trade or he uh, went to counseling or some nonsense like that. He was so traumatized by that. And because of that, you know, you had Marquis Pouncey and other black teammates. They had Incognito's back more than he did Jonathan Martin. I know Jonathan Martin, you know, he came from a well-to-do family. His mother was highly educated. His father was highly educated. I think Jonathan Martin at the time was a guy coming out of Stanford. So he was this quote-unquote, you know, not true real black guy because heaven forbid a black person in this country, you know, grow up with a mom and a dad who are highly educated and live in an upper-class neighborhood and I, you know, basically do all the things that we think white folks can do or uh, or Asian folks can do if I'm really going to do the stereotypical route. So 
you know, you're not really a black man if, you know, you grew up with any type of education, if you grew up with two parents, if you grew up learning how to speak intelligently and articulately. Remember back in the day? I do. I damn sure do. Still going through that right now with my ignorant brothers and sisters who still want to throw out that nonsense, still, still throw out that bullshit, but I digress. So, you know, there's been precipice in terms, there's been stuff going on before to where, look, go ahead and um, forgive Drew Brees. Or at the very least, at the very least, listen to what the man has to say. Don't shut him out. Don't ostracize him. You don't, get, you don't ever have to go back to the same buddy-buddy, same type of relationship. I don't know the relationship that Drew Brees had on an individual basis with all of the black players in the locker room. Some are never going to forgive him. Some are going to forgive him. Some are going to go back to business as usual. Some will forgive him, forgive him, but it'll never be the same because that'll always be out there. It's going to be up to Drew Brees, man. It's going to be up to what Drew Brees does to rectify the mistake that he made. And you can sit there and you can talk about, well, you know, why are you coming down on Drew Brees? He said what he said. He said the other. No one's up there denying his freedom to say what he wanted to say. He could say it. Absolutely. No problem. And I'm quite sure there's millions of Americans out there, millions upon millions of Americans out there who 100% agree with Drew Brees. They're just as tone deaf. They're just as lost. They're just as ignorant. They're just as uh, out of touch on the subject as he is that are going to sit there and agree with him. But then again, it goes back to, again, if you say those things, face the consequences of what you said. Drew Brees has just as much right to say what he said concerning his thoughts and feelings about the American flag that Malcolm Jenkins had about his thoughts and feelings about what Drew Brees said about his thoughts and feelings about the American flag. Just as much right as Colin Kaepernick expressed his First Amendment rights, not by vocalizing, but by kneeling to show his displeasure with some of the things that are going on in America in this community. So Drew Brees is sitting up there talking about, hey man, you know, the American flag, this is what it means to me, and it means patriotism, it means this, that, and the other. For a good number of people in this country, I hate to say this for those who just want to bleed out the red, white, and blue, and think America is so great and wonderful and awesome and this, that, and the other, USA awesome, for, for a good, decent, too many number of people in this country, you know, what that, you know what that American flag means? It means oppression. It means degradation. It means murder. It means lynching. It means second-class citizenship. It means breaking up families. It means not having equal rights. It means um, it means lower pay. It means unequal opportunities. It means police, police brutality. It means being wronged by the criminal justice system. It means having ancestors and uncles and nieces and nephews and grandparents who have been attacked, who have been lynched, who have been killed, who have been ostracized, who have been disrespected by those of authority by those who Drew Brees is sitting there talking about just loves America so much. That's what that flag means to some of those people, Drew. And guess what? Those people aren't wrong to have those thoughts and feelings about the flag. If those are the things in their life that they're going through, they're not wrong to have those thoughts and feelings just as much as you're not wrong to have those thoughts and feelings about what the flag means to you. I'm not bagging on Drew Brees. I'm not downrating Den, uh, Drew Brees. I'm not saying how dare Drew Brees has those thoughts and feelings about what was happening or what his thoughts and feelings are or what that flag and that national anthem symbolizes. No, if that's what it means to you, by all means, express that. No problem whatsoever. But please, when you do that, also recognize 
that the flag means something completely different to another group of people and are justified in having the complete opposite reaction and complete uh, uh, and have the understanding of those who don't have that same understanding that you do. Drew? That's what they're talking about. Drew Brees could have came out and said, hey, man, to me, the flag means this, and it means my grandparents are doing this, and that's what it stood for, and, you know, that flag means that they came back and they were helping out with civil rights and everything. But in saying so, he could have said all that. He could have said all that. But he also could have also said, he should have deleted the, I don't, I'll never, I'll never uh, agree with people who disrespect the flag. That was the, no, you're, that's, that's okay. Okay, we're, we know where this is going, and this ain't going to be good. So he didn't need to say that, but he could have most definitely said how much the flag means to him, how much he loves the flag of the national anthem. Without question, he could have said that. But he also should have recognized that while I love the flag as much as everybody else, I know there are those who have been oppressed, who have been discriminated, who have been... Uh, second-class citizens who have been murdered, who have been lynched, who have been dealing with not America uh, by America's hypocrisy, not democracy, who I understand they have those feelings. So I have to join and work with them to see what we can do to improve their conditions, to improve their situations. And I have to do that by staying on either by going to their side and working out or staying on my side of the tracks and, and working with those who have been those who have been the oppressor, for those who have been those who have kept that part of our population, that part of our country, that part of our community down. We have to, I have to work with those to have them, to have them improve those conditions and work with those who are trying to improve those conditions of those who have suffered the brunt of what America hypocrisy is all about. Black, brown people, gay people, women, and, and uh, women folks. That's what he should have said. If he would have tied all that together, I don't think the outrage would have been, A, as hot as it was. And for those who would have come out and said what he, and been all upset about it, I think it would have been unjustified if he would have put all those two things together. But he didn't. He completely ignored those for, you know, for, for whatever reason. I don't know. I mean, you know, that's only for him to uh, tell and to find out. But, um, yeah. I mean, when we speak about military and we speak about police, I don't like the institution. I'll tell you something right now. I don't like the institution of the military. I don't like the institution of police, of, 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 of uh, policing. That doesn't mean I don't like police officers who are good, who are trying to abide by what their pledge is to keep the community safe, to keep me safe, to keep others safe, who are truly peace officers. I'm not down on a police officer. I'm down on the institution of policing, just like in the military. I thank you very much for serving our country and doing all that you do, but that's going out to those who are in the services. I'm not speaking about that as an institution. As an institution, I got some real problems with that. Real problems. Real, 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 real problems. I don't know how anybody could be a minority unless you're so desperate to try to do something that, you know, you really have no other avenue to go down. I don't know why anybody who's a minority would, would go and join the, uh, join the armed forces. I sure wouldn't. 
Hell no. I remember. Oh shit. Let me let me throw this out here before I go to break. I remember when I was in living in the Bay Area in my mid early no no I was like 23 23 and um I was selling cars I was a car salesman over there in Daly City uh over in the Bay Area and you know David Mosier my main man Sam Bacalini and those guys and we had this kid had to be no more than 21 and he's Hispanic guy and he was talking about you know I'm going to be joining the military and everything and me and Sam and those guys were like why? Why in the world are you going to go to the military? Do you know what they're doing to Hispanics? Do you know how this country feels about Hispanics? I mean, why are you doing that? What, what's, what's, your, what, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? And he was like, hey, look, man, you know, I, uh, I mean, I might not have even, I might not have been born. I remember what he said. I might not have been born in this country, which made us say, that makes it even more puzzling why you're going to be joining the armed forces. A Hispanic who wasn't even born here, you're a first generation, I guess, or whatever. You're not even a first generation. Hispanic from Mexico and you're going to be joining this military? He goes, yeah, but guess what, man? I could die for this country and I wasn't even born here. Isn't that awesome? No! <laughs> I forgot the kid's name, but man, we, me and Sam and Dave, we went on, we went off on that guy, man. It was like, no, no, it's not awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're trying to tell me you know what they do to Hispanics? You know the thought? I mean, this was back in what, 1993? That we're talking about here, man. So it's like, you understand this country's feelings about Mexicans and you're going to join the military and you weren't even born here? And you think it's cool to die for this country that's not even born here the way they treat you guys? What? <laughs> How much time do we got? Are we going bell to bell today? Good, because it's going to take me about 12 hours of yelling at you to see what I can do to talk some sense into your ass. But that was, you know, I was, I was 23, young and dumb. But th that was my... That's my feeling when it comes to the military. So it's like everything, everyone is different concerning that. So I don't know, man. When Drew Brees was talking about this is what it means to me and blah, blah, blah. And I just can't agree with anybody who, and when I'm, I'm not moving, I'm not budging as far as my opinion is concerned about those who disrespect the flag. Yeah, I can understand if Colin Kaepernick had gotten an American flag during a national anthem in and, you know, sprayed it with lighter fluid and set it on fire. Yeah, I can see where, you know, you would be a little bit upset. If Colin Kaepernick took the American flag during the national anthem, pulled down his pants and wiped his ass with the flag. Yeah, I can see where you could be really offended and upset about that. But what Colin Kaepernick was not was doing was not. Was not. Was not. Disrespecting the flag. Big mistake, Drew. Big mistake. How are you going to move from this? How are you going to go on from this? Give me a second, I'll tell you. No, 
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What we need is love. What we need is peace. What we need is unity. What we need is understanding. And I don't care where I get it from. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Asian. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're from Appalachia. I don't care if you're from the inner city. I don't care if you're from down south. I don't care if you're from Pelry. I don't care if you're from Perth, Australia. I don't care if you're from the Philippines. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. If you've got love in your heart, if you got my back, if you believe in what I'm doing in terms of trying to be the best human being I can and spread that to those who are trying to do the same thing I'm doing, you can join my team. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I do not care. Love, peace, unity is what I'm all about. I don't care your education level. I don't care where you came from. I don't care if you were a convicted felon. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. If you got love in your heart, unity in your mind, and an eagerness to unite, in a loving, peaceful, happy, harmonious way, come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Wendell's World of Sports is always open for you. Okay, so Drew Brees, getting back to Drew Brees. What's going to be the comment now on his legacy? Because now, after what he said, he was, oh my goodness gracious, uh, his legacy is done. His legacy is tarnished. Well, Shannon Sharp on the Shannon the Skip Show was talking about this might be a situation where Drew Brees needs to re needs to retire. So basically, what is going to be the legacy? I mean, is he going to be like, is it going to be truly tarnished like Al Campanis, the executive for the Brooklyn Dodgers who was talking about Brooklyn Dodgers, wow, for the Los Angeles Dodgers where he was talking about, you know, blacks don't have the capacity to be managers. They don't have the intelligence. That's the reason why they're not managers. Or is it going to be someone like Pete Rose, who's a pariah, who's not in the Hall of Fame because of his gambling addiction and the fact that he bet on baseball? Is it going to be someone like a Woody Hayes, a fabulous Hall of Fame legendary coach who was tarnished because at the end of a uh, football game against Clemson in the Peach Bowl, I believe, he hit a player after the team, uh, after he intercepted the pass uh, from the quarterback from Ohio State when they were playing Clemson. What exactly is going to be the effects of this comment that Drew Brees made? And it's all a situation where it depends on where he goes from here in dealing with this. Basically, it's going to come down to how well he plays and what does he do moving forward. Now, I think in certain situations, I think in certain neighborhoods, I think it's a matter of if he stays with the white folks in terms of you know, the majority of them, majority of them, especially someone uh, around my age, I think if he wins the Super Bowl, if he comes back and has a fabulous season, all of this is going to be forgotten. All of this will be forgotten. I think a lot of New Orleans Saints fans will also forgive him. Or not only forgive him, forget that he even said it. Forget that this was really big of a controversy for what he said. If he can deliver a second Super Bowl to the uh, city of New Orleans. So again, it depends on how well he does. If he's great, if he's awesome, then this will be a situation where, you know, um, it'll be explained as the defining moment of the season when their episode of America's team, America's game on the NFL Network is played. You remember that? Where each year started with the 1966 Packers. They take each year. Great show. Awesome show. I've seen all of them like 15 fucking times. 
when you talk about the Jets of 1968 and the Kansas City Chiefs of 1969, and they go over each of the games. They talk about different personalities, and they talk about the different obstacles and different challenges that were being faced throughout the season. And at one point, it didn't look bleak. It didn't look great. And the next thing you know that they're in a position where they're winning a championship and everything is coming together. If the New Orleans Saints somehow, some way, win a Super Bowl this year, this, as far as the episode of America's Game, is going to be highly prominent in terms of this was a galvanizing uh, situation. The Drew Brees apology, where he comes into the locker room. I'm quite sure he's going to be shedding some tears. I'm quite sure there's going to be some emotional things going on. I'm quite sure there's going to be some harsh words. I'm quite sure there's going to be a, a lot of emotion on both sides flying. But if they win a Super Bowl, that's going to be the galvanizing thing that's going to bring them together. But then again, if they go 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, what Drew Brees said is going to be the main reason why, as far as what's probably going to be portrayed, regardless of what injuries happens or whatever, unless the injury happens to Drew Brees. But if they don't make the playoffs, if they underachieve, it'll probably be the main reason why what Drew Brees said. That'll be, that'll be the foundation for the discussion on why the season went the way it did. And I'm quite sure if it does do that, if it does go that way, and Breeze doesn't have a good year, I'm quite sure this might be the final season that Drew Breeze would be the quarterback of the United of the United States, of the New Orleans Saints, if, 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 if they do underachieve. Drew Breeze is going to be, what, 41 years old or something like that? We see what happens with Tom Brady leaving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So again, Taysom Hill, whatever it's worth, is in the wings waiting to be the starting quarterback. They signed Jameis Winston. Now, it might be to a one-year deal, but James, Jameis Winston is a guy who's had multiple years of starting quarterback experience. So, again, will it be a situation where if the New Orleans Saints really don't come together, if they let this divide the team, fracture the team, and because of that, they miss the playoffs, they underachieve, they underperform, it can cost Drew Brees the opportunity to continue to be employed with the New Orleans Saints and to even maybe go a little bit further this also might expedite the expedite Sean Payton maybe moving or going somewhere else. So we don't know. So we don't know. So basically, that's what I think is going to be happening. But look, again, what Drew Brees said, I will say it again and again, while I don't think it was racist, it was tone deaf, it was ignorant, it was uncalled for, it was a credible lack of awareness, it was all those things, but... As far as messing around with his legacy is concerned, look, man, there's been plenty of athletes who have done worse to damage their legacy. Did Ray Lewis's legacy get damaged when he was sat in jail for a, for a month or two because of his obstruction of justice and a double murder? Is Floyd Mayweather, is his legacy going to be tarnished because he sat in jail for a little while because this piece of shit actually threatened the mother of his child after he beat the shit out of her? So is his legacy going to be tarnished in that situation to, to the point where that's going to be one of the first things that you bring up, even if you do bring that up? Did anybody Does anybody remember Reggie White, arguably the greatest defensive player in NFL history? Does anybody remember, does anybody know why I'm bringing up the name Reggie White? Well, I'm talking about acts of ignorance or stupidity or whatever to ruin their legacy. Do you know why I'm bringing up Reggie White? Do you? How about you? Do you? How about you? Do you? 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 Look, you remember this 
situation in 1998 when Reggie White did a speech for the Wisconsin State Assembly. And I bet you, I bet you, you don't even remember, do you? And for those who are like under the age of 40, I bet you, first of all, you probably guys, you guys probably don't even remember how great Reggie White was, but you guys probably don't even remember at all. When he was talking about at the uh, assembly where he gave the speech, where he was talking about uh, homosexuality as one of the biggest sins in the Bible, said that he was offended by gays and lesbian groups that compare their struggle for civil rights to the struggles of African-Americans. And he said, basically, homosexuality. He didn't say basically. He said homosexuality is a decision, is not a race. Did you remember that? I mean, he was there to promote racial harmony. He was there to promote racial harmony in Wisconsin. Racial harmony in Wisconsin? How many black people live in Wisconsin? Like 15? Joking, joking, joking. But still, he was there to promote racial harmony. He was invited by Republicans to promote racial harmony. And he said that White was said that, you know, each racial and ethnic group had its own gifts that were taken that were taken together from a complete image of God. So he said that that, that blacks like to sing and dance. That's the gift that God gave them. And he said, whites know how to tap into money. He said, Hispanic people are good at, at, at are, are good at family structure. He said that you can see a Hispanic person and he can put 20 or 30 people in one home. I thought that was Puerto Ricans. I'm joking. I'm joking. Jeez, calm down. Boy, I can't joke with a stereotype, huh? But yeah, he was talking about you see a Hispanic person and he can put 20 or 30 people in one home. And do you remember this one? In other comparisons that he made, he said Asians know how to turn a television into a watch. He said American Indians have been very gifted in spirituality. I mean, what? What? <laughs> so basically those are the things that, those are the gifts from God. So God gave us the ability to dance his things. Thank you, Lord. White folks know how to tap into money. Thank you, Lord. I mean, you know, Hispanics, thank you, Lord. He gave us the ability to put 20 or 30 people into a home. Thank you very much. White folks can't do that. Hispanics are the only ones who can fit 20 or 30 people into a home. Not even Mormons can fit 20 or 30 people into a home. You know, the Mormon, Mormon, you know, with their five wives and their 15 children. I mean, you know, they have to have like three homes. I'm joking. Boy, relax, will you? Man. Don't go Drew Brees on me. <laughs> Just don't go John Rocker on me. But, you know, this is these ridiculous stereotypes. That's what Reggie White was talking about. Does anybody remember that? I know you don't remember that. Because at the time, it was just like, wow, all right. I wish I was looking for the speech. Because I saw the speech on Sports Illustrated. I saw the speech on ESPN, and I was like, is he serious? Is he joking? Is he what? Is he where? Is he what? What? What in God's name is he doing? <laughs> what in the hell is he talking about? I just remember that he, you could turn a television into a watch. It's like, what? Even with a couple of Asian friends, I still use that joke when each of us are just, you know, are, are ripping and joking on each other in terms of making fun and having fun together. You know, they're talking about, you know, black man keeping it real. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you guys, not only can you guys not drive, you can take that car and turn it into a watch. Ha, ha, ha. Joke just between me and my Asian buddies. Don't go crazy on me. But so it was like, so when we talk about someone's legacy, again, I, I, I don't think Drew Brees long-term is going to suffer any type of long-term 
destruction to his legacy. I just don't think, I just don't believe that. Now, I, what he needs to do, number one, what he really needs to do, because he's talking about, and I'll play you what he said on his, I don't know if he said it on Instagram. I don't know if he said it on Twitter or what, but he basically gave an apology um, face-to-face. He basically said, look, I want you guys to see my apology so you can see how sincere I am. And I believe him. I believe that he's sincere. I believe that he's sorry for what he did. I'll play you what he said in just a second. But basically what he needs to do, and there's been a playbook for this in terms of athletes who fuck up, athletes who need some, um, you know, uh, some uh, forgiveness and such. There's certain avenues. There's certain uh, playbook that he needs to do. First of all, he needs to do is he needs to publicly apologize again. And he needs to apologize much more than the 60 seconds, or he needs to apologize much more than the minute that he recorded. He needs to do an interview. And I'm not, I'm not talking about going on first take, and I'm not talking about being interviewed by Stephen A. Smith. I'm not talking about that type of apology. He needs to put himself on a platform with someone from our community that's in higher regard. You know, Stephen A. Smith is just a show horse. You know, he's just, he's just a talking clown. You know, he's like me. He's just like a talking clown, this, that, and the other. I'm talking about for what Drew Brees needs to do. He needs to go much higher than that. Someone much more respected and revered in the community than that. If I'm Drew Brees, I go ahead and I see what I can do to be interviewed by Tony Dungy. I don't know if you do it on NBC. I don't know if you do it on the nightly news. I don't know exactly where you do it, but that's the first place I would go. I would ask Tony Dungy, who still works. I think he works. Yeah, he still works for NBC, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he still works there. I would ask Tony Dungy, please, can we get a platform? Can we do something? He's going to be a broadcaster when he retires. That's still in play. That's not going to that, that What he said definitely doesn't jeopardize that position, and it shouldn't. But um, I don't know. Is there any way, any platform that we can get on to where Tony Dungy can ask him some questions, ask him the hard questions, basically, you know, have Tony Dungy tell him what he feels, and Drew Brees can have that type of conversation. I think Tony Dungy has the gravitas. I think Tony Dungy has the respect of the community. I think Tony Dungy has the intelligence, the wherewithal, and everything else to where if someone was truly sincere about wanting to rewrite and restart learning about trying to become a better human being, about trying to become a better person, which means trying to learn different experiences from different people from different backgrounds, I think from a football standpoint, since Drew Brees is still a football player, Drew Brees is still employed by the NFL, that ain't going anywhere. The New Orleans Saints definitely ain't going to cut him or trade him over this. So I think this would be a great first step if he could somehow, someway get an interview with Tony Dungy. Then if I'm Drew Brees, you know what I do? After I say this is Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast. You know what I would do if I were Drew Brees after that, um, after that uh, um, interview with Tony Dungy, which would be aired? I would go ahead and I would go to Antoine Bolden and ask, what can I do? Could you sit down and can we talk? Can you educate me? I would go to Harry Carson, who's the chairman at the Fritz Pollard Alliance, and I would ask him, could you please help me? Could you please educate me? Could you please tell me what I need to do, what I should do to try to help the movement, to try to help the community, to try to help, you know, forge this relationship that I'm trying to do? I would talk to Rod Graves. I would talk to Doug Williams. I would talk to Warren Moon, and it wouldn't be something to where I would go ahead and shout it out and be like, hey, look, everybody, I'm going to talk to Harry Carson. Everybody bring their cameras. Everybody bring your photographers. Everybody bring the news media. I'm going to go to talk to these people. 
don't bring attention to yourself. That makes it look disingenuous. You go ahead, you set up these meetings privately after the Tony Dungy interview, and you talk to these people, and you let them know, A, how sorry you are, B, how wrong I was in terms of thinking this way without taking into regard the thoughts of others and the totality of what I was talking about when it comes to kneeling and protesting what it means the national anthem or the American flag. And explain, teach me. I'm not trying to leave the room trying to be a quote-unquote black guy. That's not the case. But please teach me a little bit more and educate me a little bit more so I can have a greater and better understanding which can help me become a better human being. Hey, look, man, I've got some kids at home that I'm trying to be a good role model to. You know, I'm, I've got some kids at home who are going to be growing up in a society like this to where, once again, as I mentioned at the beginning part of the, of the podcast, they're going to be part of moving this society in a positive direction when it comes to race relations, when it comes to unity and love worldwide between the different races and faces and genders and everything else. I want to be part of my son's education to guide him to that unity, to guide him to that understanding, to guide him to those things. So help me out. Educate me. That's what I want to do. So they can go ahead through my teachings of what it's like to respect all and respect others. So when they go into the workplace, when they go and live their lives, when they become adults, they can become productive citizens. And maybe they can make a difference as someone whose education is faulty, whose education is not there when it comes to black community, when it comes to Asian community, when it comes to unity, when it comes to harmony, when it comes to breaking the myths of stereotypes of blacks and Hispanics and others. That's what Drew Brees should be reaching for. That's what Drew Brees should be talking about. That's what Drew Brees should be asking those guys to do. Again, without cameras, without notification, without any type of media hype, without uh, letting anybody know about that in terms of outside of the folks that Drew Brees really cares about. If he is truly sincere about making the change. He can meet with members of the Black National Caucus. Go ahead and meet with Karen Bass, who's the chair of the CBC. Go ahead and meet Drew with uh, Joyce Bailey, first vice chair of the CBC. Do volunteer work for the American program that was founded in 1988 by Jim Brown. You know who is a person who used to do a lot of things for the American program? Bill Belichick. He has lent his time and his effort for that program with Jim Brown that he founded again in 1988. Do everything that you need to do, Drew. And you know what else I would do? As far as trying to learn, and if you really want to show your teammates that you are sincere in your apology and what you can do to move forward, you know what else I would do? I would call up Colin Kaepernick. I would get Colin Kaepernick and and say, help me. And it's not a matter or situation because... I want to meet with Colin Kaepernick so Colin Kaepernick can run back and tell his boys, hey, Drew is cool, accept his apology, let him back into the club. No, no, it's nothing like that. It ain't nothing like that. I just want to learn. I just want to hear your voice. I want to hear your thoughts and understanding. I want to have that conversation with you. That's what Drew Brees should do. Here's his apology on Twitter. I know there's not much that I can say that would make things any better right now. I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. I know that it hurt many people, especially friends, teammates, former teammates, loved ones, people that I care and and respect deeply. That was never my intention. I wish I would have laid out what was on my heart 
in regards to the George Floyd murder, Ahmaud Arbery, the years and years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change in regards to legislation and so many other things to bring equality to our black communities. I'm sorry, and I will do better, and I will be part of the solution, and I am your ally. And I know no words will do that justice. That's going to have to be. So what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Sounds good to me. It doesn't sound phony. It doesn't sound like his lawyer wrote it. The first one he issued uh, with this long, long diatribe, I thought it was, it felt scripted. It felt rehearsed. felt kind of like politician-ish. You know what I mean? This, it seemed like he was coming from his heart. And I saw it in his eyes. I saw it in the tone of his voice. He is sorry. He truly is sorry. He explained that he wanted to do this so people could see the sorrow in his eyes. That he was sincere. He did come across as being sincere. Look, I ain't no body language expert or anything like that. But from a layman's point of view, from me looking at it, he looks sincere. He said he now realizes that his comments hurt people. Mainly his friends, teammates, loved ones. People that he's cared about. He understands that he hurt them deeply. And he said that was never his intention to hurt anybody. He said that he'll do better. And he'll be part of the uh, solution. All right. All right. I, you got to give him a chance, man. Give him a chance. You're going to ostracize the guy? You're going to sit there and label the guy? This is going to be his This is going to be his scar? You're not going to give him a chance? At least hear what he had to say. Judge for yourself. Take a look back. If you're Michael, look, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, Kim, uh, all those guys in the locker room, they all know Drew Brees much better than I do. They all do. So... I'm not sitting here, I'm not trying to tell you what you should do. I mean, you don't owe him anything. You don't have to sit there and listen to him. I mean, Drew Brees made this problem. That's his fault. I don't have any sympathy for Drew Brees in terms of, you know, the backlash that he faced because he made this mess. And I think Drew Brees, from the little that I know of him, I'm hoping that he'll take this mistake that he made, which could cost him friendships, which could cost him relationships. Hopefully, this could be something to where, you know what, I am going to learn. Because if it was a situation where maybe two or three people from outside of this space might have said, that's bullshit, that's wrong, that's whatever, and he didn't hear it from Malcolm Jenkins, or he didn't hear it from his teammates, or he didn't hear it from people he, that he cared and loved and respected, well, then he wouldn't have changed, which means he wouldn't have grown, which means he wouldn't have gotten better. Which means he wouldn't have developed into a full human being or the potential of a human being that he could. So regardless, Drew, of what happens in terms of the relationships, many of them, I'm quite sure, you took years and years to build. And some of those relationships that you've had with those black players that are now possibly broken, upon, uh, uh, broken forever, it took them a long time to uh, build. And just like that, it's, uh, it's gone, it's damaged, uh, you know, without question. Use that as a learning tool, man. Use that as a learning tool to become better. And use that as a learning tool to become better so you can pass that, again, to along with those that you're trying to help your kids and such. You know, that's what he needs to do. That's what he should do. And hopefully, when he does have that meeting, hopefully, if they do give him that meeting, then his teammates will unleash that his teammates will 
go ahead and tell him how they really feel. And maybe Drew can do everything he can to start repairing relationships with the ones that he offended. And hopefully in that locker room, here's a sign of progress. Here would be a sign of real progress. Those words that he said, not only did it hurt the black players on his team, hopefully it hurt and offended the white players too. You don't have to be black to be offended by what Drew Brees said. You don't have to be black to be alarmed at the lack of awareness that Drew Brees said. So hopefully there's some folks in that locker room who are white, who are not black, who are like, yeah, Drew, what you said, that was kind of offensive. That was kind of wrong. Now, I don't expect it to hurt and bleed and cut as much for the white players as it does the black players because the black players are going through it. The white players are not. But hopefully it's like, yeah, I was offended that I was hurt because you see what it's doing to my black brother over here. You see what it's doing to my teammate over here. You see what those words did as far as hurting my brother, my teammate, my friend over here. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of he needs to start not only repairing relationship that he's broken and he's damaged from the black side of town, but also on that locker, in that locker room, also hopefully to some of the white players that he hurt in terms of the um, things that he did. You know, what he said should have been offensive to and hurtful to every race, gender, creed, political beliefs, affiliation, religious beliefs, and backgrounds. It should have been offensive and hurtful for everyone. So apologize to the group of people, Drew, that you hurt and offended the most, which is the black teammates, their, your brothers, your allies, your friends, etc., all that nonsense, and continue rebuilding your relationships from there with them, but also make sure that you have in check the relationship that you have with the white players. I'm quite sure there's white players in that locker room who said, hey, I don't know what, what you said, Drew, was all right with me, huh? you know, whatever. If that's the case, educate them. Educate them to say, no, nah, you know what, what Malcolm was talking about was correct. You know, the thoughts and the feelings that Alvin Kamara and those guys are having, it's correct. It's correct. What I said was wrong, and let me explain to you why they were wrong. And it saves the white players on this team the fear, the embarrassment, the intimidation, of going to Malcolm Jenkins and saying, hey, man, what you were saying about Drew, I didn't, I didn't agree with. I didn't think it was right. Or, you know what, there, fellas, the, the black players, some of you who are treating Drew this way, nah, that's wrong. I don't think that leveled the, I don't think that warranted the amount of grief and anger and frustration and hurtfulness that you're showing. Drew Brees can be that guy for the white players who feel that way, who don't feel comfortable going to the black players and expressing their thoughts and feelings, that Drew Brees can come and say, when they say, hey, Drew, hey, Drew, I'm with you, you know, this, that, and the other, I'm, you know, I'm down, I don't think it was a big deal, this, that, the other, I think those guys are overreacting. If that situation persists or that situation exists, Drew could be the one to say, no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong in that situation. I was wrong in that situation. And let me explain to you why Malcolm and Kamar and Alvin and all those guys are hurt and why they're upset with me right now and why I'm trying to rebuild these relationships that I've broken. That's what Drew Brees needs to do. He needs to do that. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace, your host. Here's one thing that I don't want the black community to do. Here's, things, here's the one thing I don't want the New Orleans Saints, Malcolm Jenkins and all those guys. Here's one thing I hope they don't do. Please, fellas. I know you're hurt. I know you're angry. I know you're disappointed. I understand. I know. I'm a black man for heaven's fucking sakes. So I understand. But damn, man, give Drew a chance. Give If he's truly sincere 
in his apology, if he's truly sincere about wanting to change, if he's truly sincere in everything that he was talking about, please give him that chance. Please, don't ostracize this guy. Don't throw away this guy. You know, don't shun this guy. Drew Brees can be a strong, powerful, influential ally in what this society needs to do to come together. Please, we need Drew. Don't, don't do this, man. Don't let this define him because he can be that guy when he takes the knowledge from what you are teaching him. When you see, when you teach him the right, the wrongness of his ways and you send him on the right path and he goes and heads and he helps and he does other things and he becomes better for this. We all win. White folks win, black folks win, Hispanic folks win, Asian folks win. This whole world wins if you go ahead and do that. Don't deny us that opportunity. Malcolm and those guys, don't be selfish. Don't be narrow-minded. Don't be short-sighted. I'm not saying that you need to pick up the relationship right where it left off. I'm not saying that you guys have to have to be on the same level as far as your friendship, as far as your trust is concerned, than what it was before. I'm not saying that. But man, please give Drew the, 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 uh, the, the want to. Please give him the passion to go out there and try to make a change. You know, don't, don't go out there in the black, don't, please, y'all, my brothers and sisters out there from the black community, don't go ahead and talk about, oh, Drew, you're a racist, this, that, and the other, you're no good, you're a piece of shit. Don't do that. Hey, man, we've all needed to be educated about the rights of an oppressed minority community at some point, didn't we? Haven't we? Come on, man. I mean, if you're living in the glass house, don't throw no stones. I mean, how many times have we said something dumb? How many times have we said something ignorant about something, whether it's through, you know, lack of uh, knowledge or whatever as we're growing, growing up? Take a look back. Think about all the times that you might have made some ignorant remark about a certain group of people, right? I mean, how would you have liked it if some of the things that you might have said would have been labeled in terms of this is what this guy is? Can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And Drew Brees, again, while I don't know him, his words and actions and deeds before this came around, at least if he shows his teammates that he's sincere, he deserves another chance to prove his willingness to do what he needs to be doing. To shed that label, to grow, to mature, to learn. That's what they need to do. Give him that chance. Give him that opportunity. Please, we yell and we fight and we scream. We die. We kick. We do everything. We've been fighting for centuries for folks to give us an opportunity. Don't deny someone who is trying to, if he's sincere, help us in that, on that path. Don't deny him the opportunity for us, for us to, to reach that goal with his help. Shit, man, Bobby Kennedy. This man had to visit the poor, oppressed, downtrodden, ignored black communities in Mississippi and Alabama back there in the 60s before he finally came around to what civil rights was all about. He wasn't down with that nonsense when he was the attorney general general with his brother. I mean, he wasn't down with that nonsense when Lyndon B. Johnson came over and took over after the president got his head blown off November 22, 1963. Bobby Kennedy had to grow. Bobby Kennedy had to learn. Bobby Kennedy had to go down firsthand knowledge and be educated by those quote-unquote poor, less than, less than human beings in terms of what they're going through. 
He had to feel their pain firsthand. He had to see what they were going through. He had to see the degradation. He had to see the discrimination. He had to see the impoverished living. He had to see the second-class citizenship. He had to see the hell that those folks were going through before he said, oh, shit, you know what? My thoughts and feelings about the civil rights movements and everything that's going down, I was completely wrong. Let me now switch and become a change for that. That's what Bobby Kennedy had to do. What happened to them, them folks down in um, those poor communities down south where they said, man, get, get the fuck out of here, Bobby Kennedy. You ain't, you ain't interested in shit. You don't know shit. We know some of the shit that you're doing. We know what your brother was all about. Fuck you, man. Get the hell out of here. We don't want your help. We don't want your cries. We don't want your pleas. We don't want, no, we don't want anything to do with you. I mean, you can't do that. And I'm glad that the community down there was intelligent enough that they didn't. Intelligent, desperate, all of the above. Still my president, Barack Obama. He had to be educated about those in the gay and lesbian communities before we have respect and embrace all of the aspects of their being. Remember Barack Obama was talking about, he was one of the last guys to talk about you know, gay marriage and he finally gave in and saying, you know what, I think gay marriage should become a law of the land. And, my, my president, uh, President Obama, was talking about, you know, I, I thought and I prayed and it was something that, you know, I thought long and hard about. And, you know, Barack wasn't some, you know, 12-year-old guy living in Hawaii when he finally had the light shed upon him. And those were the thoughts and feelings that he had in terms of not giving gay people the right to marry. Barack was the last one on the train in terms of saying, okay, now you could sit there and be cynical and say it was political and all those other things because gay people vote too. So, hey, 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 hey. But still, it was a situation where he publicly came out and said, I had to learn. I had to be educated. So those are just two strong examples of folks who were well past their adolescence, who had to, in some ways, grow, had to, in some ways, learn. And the gay community gave President Obama that opportunity, which he seized upon and grew from. The black folks in the 1960s in these downtrodden, impoverished areas of the country gave Bobby Kennedy that opportunity to grow. And look of all the help. Look at all the good that is done. Look at how our community has been risen. Look at how our world in our society, ever so slightly, but we ain't picking cotton no more, we ain't in chains no more. We ain't doing that shit no more. Yeah, there's still some slave masses out there in terms of police brutality, in terms of police officers. There's some, still some slave owners out there who want to think of themselves as slave owners right there in Congress and, 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 and high, holding the highest office. But you know what, man? We have improved. We have gotten better. Through us, through everybody, we've gotten better. To my community, to my brothers and sisters in the community who are listening to this podcast, give Drew Brees a chance. Give him a chance to be an ally. Now, if he fails in that, then you can do whatever you want. Discard him. Discard him. And I'll be the one, I'll be the first one cheering as you discard him. If he's not sincere with his apology, if he's just bullshitting, if he's just doing damage control. If he's just giving us lip service in terms of his wantingness, his willingness to try to become a better person, to try to learn about our plight, to try to learn about what he can do to help our plight, what he can do to bring everybody together in love, peace, and unity. If he's bullshitting lip service, PR, and whatever, 
then yeah, throw him aside. Throw him aside. But uh, I think that he's sincere. And I'm trusting that he's sincere. And as I mentioned before, please, for heaven's fucking sakes alive, give him a chance. Please, give him a chance. All right, that is done. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on for a second. Two hours and 18 minutes. Two hours and 20 minutes. Don't I got another 40 minutes to go? Don't I have another 45 minutes to go? No, I am done. I am done. I am done. I want to try to keep these podcasts a little bit shorter. But it all depends, man. If I got something to say, I'm going to say it. And if it takes me three hours to say it, fine. If it takes me 90 minutes, fine. If it takes me an hour to say it, fine. I'm just going from the heart, man. I do my research. I do my stuff. And whatever comes out, comes out, you know? I mean, I like to consider myself a mixture between, like, Otis Redding and a jazz player, man. You know, because when Charlie Parker played a song, he could play. When John Coltrane played My Favorite Things, when he played it live, if he played it 20 times, there would be 20 different versions. Some versions would be five minutes. Some versions would be an hour and a half. It all depends what he was feeling that day. Ray Charles, I think he was talking about with Soul. You know, you're never going to hear me play the same song the same way twice. It all depends on how I'm feeling that day. It all depends on what's going on that day. Same thing with Otis Redding. I'm, I'm soulful when it comes to my podcast. I'm filled with soul. I've got that Otis Redding soul. I've got that Charlie Parker soul. I got that Miles Davis soul. I got that John Con uh, Coltrane soul. I got that Ray Charles soul. I got that Sam Cooke soul. Whatever I feel, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever whatever I want to uh, put down and give to y'all, that's what I'm giving. Now, you can take it. Cool. You can not take it. Cool. You can listen to half and throw the rest away. Cool. You can listen to some, throw it away. Cool. You can listen to all and save it. Cool. This is for you. Maybe at the present time, you don't want to hear all of it. Maybe this is something where you put it aside and you might bring it back in 24, 48 hours, days, months, years. Who knows, man? But I'm just giving you all of me. And this is all of me. This is Wendell Wallace right here. Ain't no bullshitting. Ain't no lying. Ain't no different persona. Ain't no different personality. What you hear is what you get when you talk about Wendell Wallace and you talk about what I'm putting down in terms of my thoughts and feelings about any of these topics that I'm talking about. It could be on a podcast. It could be at a restaurant. It could be walking down the street. It could be at a park, whatever it is. This is the same tone. This is the same passion. This is the same enthusiasm that I would be giving you concerning what was what I was saying today. Again, whether I'm on a park or whether I'm uh, doing a podcast or whether I'm sitting around kicking it with you, you know, wherever. So there you go. Be safe. Be good. Tell somebody you love them. And again, man, you know, for the uh, fellas with the ladies, Friday night, snuggle, be with them. Tell them that you love them. Ladies, with your man tonight, tell them that you love them. And fellas, maybe you should make your woman some food. Maybe you should uh, do something sweet. You know, get her get her some moonlight that she can wear if I could just say some James, James Ingram stuff. All right, I'm out of here. See you next time. Music. Music.